Breeders' Cup Saturday Part 2. Yeah, we didn't even uh, have uh, the ability to put it all on one episode. We had to break it up onto two different episodes because we had so much information for you on just the Saturday part. That's not even counting the Friday Breeders' Cup that was its own show. So between the two Breeders' Cup days, there's three episodes of That's What G Said. One of them covers all of Friday. The other one's going to cover races one through eight. On Saturday, we also have an interview on there with the co-founder of Old Smoke Clothing, Kurt Rossner. So you get races 1 through 8, you get races 4 through 8, all the Breeders' Cup races with a, a guest interview going through every race. And that's what you're going to get here on uh, on this episode as well. We're going to go Breeders' Cup Mile with Chris Larmy. We're going to go Breeders' Cup Distaff with Christina Blacker. We're going to go Breeders' Cup Turf with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. We're going to go Breeders' Cup Classic with Emily Gullickson. And we are also going to talk football on this episode. Hey, just because it's a big Breeders' Cup weekend doesn't mean I'm going to take a week off of the NFL. No way, shape, or form. Eric Etoff, 21 Sports, joins me for about a 45-minute conversation going over every game for the NFL Week 9 slate. We go over the point spreads, the totals, ways we're leaning, maybe some players to use in uh, in daily fantasy or fantasy setups. So, Part 2, Breeders' Cup Saturday. Here we go. Gotta let you know, though, about Stable Duel before we get into all the, uh, the Breeders' Cup stuff. Stable Duel. This is daily horse racing contest when you download the app the stable dual app from your phone your ipad maybe your android or your iphone you get the opportunity to play in contest at different tracks basically every day of the week multiple tracks a day many times different contest options for you we're playing in contests where you're putting up an entry fee of 5 10 15 20 bucks playing against 50 60, 100, 200, 500 different entrants, and you're winning cash prizes right back each and every day. Check out Stable Duel for those daily horse racing contests. So, let me give you an example. Coming up this weekend, Thursday at Woodbine, there's a $25 contest you can get involved in. For That's an entry fee. At Golden Gate, there's a $10 entry fee. At Evangeline, there's a $5 triple up. So that means if you finish in the top 40% of that contest, you'll turn your $5 into 15 On Friday, you could play at Del Mar in a $25 contest that pays out to the top 10 They also have a Penn National contest with a $10 entry fee. On Saturday, Del Mar has a $25 entry fee that pays out top 10 They also have a Woodbine contest for Stable Duel, and it's give, it's going to give you a bonus. If you play in the $10 Woodbine in, in, in contest with a $10 entry, and then you make a wager at Woodbine, you will be eligible for a $300 bonus. For the details and the specifics, make sure to follow Stable Duel on Twitter, on social media. You can get all the specifics there. They also have a, an Evangeline contest, $10 entry fee on Saturday. And then on Sunday, Del Mar, $10 triple up. Turn that 10 into 40 if you're one of the, uh, the top 40% there. We go straight into... The Breeders' Cup races on part two of uh, Breeders' Cup Saturday, and we're going to start on this episode with race number nine. It is the Breeders' Cup Mile, and that's Chris Larmy who's going to join us to talk Breeders' Cup Mile. Oh, up next, it is the Breeders' Cup Mile. We're going to be talking about Saturday at Keeneland and race number nine. To join me 
is someone who uh, this is a long time coming. He's actually going to be the first time uh, on. That's what G said. But someone I used to act, uh, interact with the weekend and week out on Elite Racing Network, an excellent handicapper, very good gambler, really good contest player, a good writer, just a great ambassador for horse racing. He's a good follow on social media and has a, a really nice podcast out there. And what's great about uh, my next guest, Chris Lormy, who's going to join me to talk about the Breeders' Cup Mile, is Chris. Um, you're just a lot of fun to interact with. You are someone who you're you're constantly like improving your game. I think which is what we all have to do as horse players. You're looking for new angles. You're, you're it seems like you you're having conversations with people and absorbing information. I, I always love following you and and listening to you because you seem like you're uh, you you just got a really good head on your shoulders for this game of racing. Well, thank you for the kind words, Gino, and back at you. Um, I definitely enjoy talking with other people about things, especially when they're passionate about it. And I just feel like you can learn a lot from everybody. And, you know, that's what half the fun is just learning and improving. And in horseplay, as a horse player, there's just so much to learn. There's always something new out there and the game's always changing. So to me, that's the best part of it. That's what makes it challenging and fun. And in particular, talking with other people about races is just about as good as it gets, you know, yeah. um, breaking it down. And so I love to do that. I'm looking forward to talking about this race with you. And you do a great job at it. We're going to get right into the Breeders' Cup Mile, which uh, is uh, is always a fascinating race. You're going to get some really talented European horses in and and at least... From a like a general standpoint Overall from year to year This is a race that feels like ones that the US horses can I think compete a little bit better With the Euros because they have a little The US horses have a little more natural speed Sometimes for turf Distance races we're in a little Bit of trouble because we don't really have as many Of those and as many quality type races But uh, this is a, a fascinating Race to me and we'll start with Circus Maximus In the inside Chris this was a horse Who actually was in this race last Year he finished fourth in the Breeders' Cup Mile at Santa Anita, and he he just didn't have a very good trip early on, he, and that's not really his running style. Circus Maximus is super talented. I just don't. What kind of a trip do you think he gets? That that's what I'm worried about with him. Well, I agree. He ran better than his running line looks in the mm-hmm. Breeders' Cup last year, and he did seem to, uh, you know handle the switch to the u.s so that's always a plus and in this race to me trips typically determine the winner and i agree with you the longer they go the more edge the euros have this is sort of in the middle where Mm -hmm. um, the sprints i think you definitely favor the u.s horses the the marathons the euros and the mile it's kind of a toss-up so it Mm -hmm. always comes down to the trips and in particular, post position really matters in this race with a short run of the first turn, a two-turn race. And this year, unfortunately for the Americans, the Euros really got the best of it on the they do. straw. I mean, they they drew inside for the most part, and the, and the better U.S. horses kind of got stuck on the outside. So I'm leaning a little bit towards the Americans, and Circus Maximus is one of those through the rail, gets Ryan Moore, who's really good at riding the rail and turf races. He does have some tactical speed. Um, you're always worried about the Euros um, getting away from the gate. So I think the, the break will be important for him. But if he can break alertly, not get shuffled back too far and, and save some ground and be in a stocking position, I think he's a contender. 
His form kind of is off, although his last race was on some really bad ground, so I think he can forgive that. The one-two back was a little disappointing. But he gets Lasix in here, and he might be the kind of horse that can benefit from that. He almost looks like he might be a horse that might uh, have some bleeding issues, and maybe that might be what happened as he tailed off. But on his best, with the right trip, uh, he's not impossible at all. Yeah, and he he wants to be... Like I said, he wants to be closer than he was in that Breeders' Cup race last year because he actually has more speed in his a lot of his races in Europe, which he won't end up being on the lead here with this kind of speed. It'll probably be more stalking, and that's the that's the key. Like you said, as long as he's able to settle and he doesn't get caught in an in between where he's trying to chase too too quick or he's trying to get caught up with the pace, he can just settle from the inside. I think the inside draw is a really nice draw for him, as uh, as you mentioned. Um, as we move from Circus Maximus to Kamiko, I would imagine this one would would probably get bet even a little from that six to one morning line. Uh, I thought Kamiko looks really, really good coming into to this one, Chris. If you just go back and look at the last couple races uh, of his, so his last three races at a mile, you have a Grade Two win, a troubled fourth, and a and a, a, gr- a Group Two win, a troubled fourth, and a Group One win, and and in that troubled fourth. When he was behind Circus Maximus and Siskin that day, he he broke inside, but he settled. He was tucked in behind horses, and it was just a brutal trip. I absolutely nowhere to go throughout. I think this is this is the trip that he wants. You mentioned the the Euros drawn well. Um, I, I I like him quite a bit in this spot. Yeah, I I concur with everything you said. Camico to me is the pick. He's my definitely the most likely winner. I don't think you'll get a big price, but. Anything close to that six to one seems like pretty good value. He did draw well. And like you said, a mile is his trip. I mean, he's been lights out. Uh, his only time he's lost at a mile this year was, like you said, with that brutal trip against good horses. And he mm-hmm. still, you know, didn't run, didn't disgrace himself. And, you know, they took a shot in the Epsom Derby, um, stretching him out. I get that. You know, it's kind of like people with the Derby here yeah. in the U.S., he he didn't disgrace himself again there, but it's clearly too far for him. Where I was a little surprised is when they stretched him out again two races back um, against top horses, Magical and Gaieth. And, you know, again, that was longer than his trip against really good horses. So now he cuts back or he, he cut it back to a mile and he showed, you know, what he can do in his last race. Should get a good trip in here. He's not going to be way up front, but he's not a, a slow plotter type. So. He should get a good trip and a little bit of racing luck will have to come in play late. But to me, he's the one to beat in here. And six to one is value. Like you said, though, he's likely to get bet down a bit from that. But I see him as the most likely winner. And as long as it's as long as he gets like he gets hit at seven to two and then can float back up to like five to one, that's that's fine by me. I hope it's not a situation where everybody looks and goes, okay, and then the first click he's like two to one and then has a has a tough time floating back up. Hopefully, we can still get something uh, as you mentioned closer to that six because he looks very very good in here. As you move to uh, Lope E Fernandez, hey, I mean, if you're just talking on pure connections, you got Aiden O'Brien and you got Detori, um, you're you're not in bad hands here. I just. I can't get as excited about him as I can for some of the other Euros. He's been sprinting more as of late and will now try to stretch that out to a mile. And so I have a tough time with the trip. Feels like he's a little overmatched and, you know, the shipping, all that stuff together. I I, I can't really get too excited about him. Yeah, I agree. He does have some upside. He does get a good post and a good rider. But 
O'Brien hasn't got a very good record. Not as of late, no. No, and he's not had a great year either. And I, I, I'm just not too high on his horses in general. And this one seems more like an afterthought than a, mm-hmm. you know, a prime contender. Uh, so I'm, I'm not real high. It won't be on any of my tickets in the Breeders' Cup. We move to a horse who, uh, in the four Siskin, I, I think is a little bit of a player in here. So if you look at the September. Sixth race most recently um, Settled third while the top two Just ran off and was was Seven lengths behind And got up to third But was just sort of was just sort of outrun After that slow start And it's it's one of those weird races when horses run off It's it's kind of hard to gauge it, the, the form prior to that You could really you know find a couple races In a row that were good That race at the at the Kura in June was, was really solid Came right back with a good third Even with some trouble in July on July the 29th Behind Circus Maximus I could make a, a case here For Siskin I think there are some things to like And if, if you're getting over 10 to 1 To me that seems pretty fair Yeah I don't see him beating um, Cameco but I do Think he's a contender um, it's interesting, supposedly they've been training him around a left-handed turn in his gallops and stuff. So uh, even though he hasn't raced left-handed, uh, they've definitely been thinking Breeders' Cup and trying to plan ahead for the likely trip that he get. And he did draw a pretty good post. Um, supposedly he had some real gait issues before that last race. I didn't see, I saw the race, but I didn't see what happened beforehand. But he acted up and he broke slow. And supposedly he's done that a couple times when he's traveled, so that's something to look for. I think is if you know watch him pre-race. I you can't necessarily wait until they open the gates, but you know if he's looking really uh, anxious and yeah, I agree. Uh, and 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 that's why I wouldn't want to. He's one that I would want still around ten to one because I think at least or so because there's some questions there. Like he he's been kind of his own worst enemy in some spots. Super capable with the with a top effort with one of his best, but. Uh, I agree with you. He'd still be a cut below Camico uh, and maybe a couple others in here, but not not without a chance. Um, Siskin, the number four, as we move along to Digital Age for Chad Brown, who's gotten really good in his last couple starts. He beat uh, a lot of uh, you know the better Americans in the Turf Classic in a race that set up pretty well for him, but. We don't, this year in particular It doesn't feel like a lot of the Like this horse is good, I just don't know how deep Any of these American turf divisions are Especially going long So Digital Age, he's probably one of the more Live contenders of the American horses Do you think he has a shot to win it all in here? Well he's the only one that got a good Post really Yeah, um, He's he's improving But I think the time to have him was the last time yep. he, he does He's a horse that tends to find trouble and he actually got the clean trip that he's, you know, been crying out for. And even that clean trip, his best effort ever, I don't think, is going to win. But if he can improve off that and get a trip again in here, I think he could hit the board. I wouldn't be playing him, you know, on top and pick fives or, you know, to win. But of the U.S. horses, he's not without a chance, uh, although I think it's pretty small in terms of the win. Yeah, great point too. Depending on how you're making your wagers, right? He wouldn't he wouldn't really surprise me at all if he ran a good race and he was two, three, four. I would be a little surprised if he was able to jump up and beat a couple of these that just seem a little bit classier than than he is. We move to the number six, Safe Voyage, who comes in uh, in in pretty nice form. Safe Voyage most recently ran at Longchamp on October the the fourth, 
And was held in second was, was like pretty close to the lead early on Was then behind, angled three wide Took a while to get going But he closed pretty well And he was looked like he was getting to one master And, and then, you know, the September 12th race was was also very solid uh, Took back just behind the leader So he's kind of tactical He's not necessarily a horse who has to be A, a you know a stone cold closer Which is nice and if he's not going to be as quick as some of these He could be in a good spot Yeah he does have tactical speed And he's rock solid Just he's a 7 year old that never runs a bad race Probably 7 furlongs Looks like his wheelhouse But he's mm-hmm. run some good races at a mile so with the right trip, I could see him hitting the board, and he's the type that might get overlooked uh, a little bit in the wagering. So, you know, I, if I had to choose between he and Digital Age, I'd probably uh, go with Safe Voyage. But they're both the type that I couldn't play to win, but possibly they could hit the board with the yeah, right trip. And I'd be I'd be more inclined to pay play Safe Voyage because you'll probably get double the price. You know, you'll get you know some of the people that are just throwing the Chad Brown and and playing the Chad Brown money and Safe Voyage, as you said, of the Euros, he could he could be forgotten about definitely for me in the two, three, four spots, and I'll probably flop him into um, one or two uh, pick fours or pick fives depending on how I'm approaching that. Casa Creed, to me, just. He's he's talented. He's got ability. I just he feels just like a cut below this. So you just look at his recent races. He's been defeated by Digital Age, Factor This, Holiday, Ivar, Raging Bull. He's going to have to turn the tables on all of them. Yeah, I I played this horse a few times, mm-hmm. and I think he has some talent, but I I just don't think he's a Grade One Breeders' Cup Mile winner. So um, I think he's in a little bit over his head here. Although you could argue he's run as well as like Digital Age, but sure. I think maybe Digital Age has more, you know, more excuses and a little more, a upside, little more upside, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. Um, but from to- a price standpoint, you, yeah, you and under price underneath, like what's nice too is he's pretty versatile. Like he he can he can be close or he can pass horses. He's shown the ability. I just I, in my head when I try to work out how everybody's trip, what kind of trip they need to get to win, I I can't see him. Either stealing the race I can't see him passing everyone I could see him maybe being mid-pack And like falling into a good spot And and finishing third or fourth I just don't know if he could hold off Some horses with a big turn of foot One horse who has a, a big turn of foot Is March to the Arch He was in the Woodbine Mile most recently He was second behind a very very nice mare In Starship Jubilee March to the Arch Will come running with the right type of trip he, I just look at his races and I don't I can make a case for him I just don't know if he can beat The group like this I, I like I like the mile for him There are some positives I just I wanted to see him win that race I felt like that was a race the Woodbine mile That you know Starship Jubilee's good But he still probably should have won that one um, I, I, What do you feel about March to the Arch I got some conflicting feelings Yeah I I think he's a pretty nice horse, but I don't think he's he's a maybe a grade one Canadian horse, yep. but I don't think he's a grade one U.S. Euro type horse. Probably a better way to put it, yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's hard to knock him. He does come running every time, but he'd have to get a clean trip and he'd have to outfinish some horses. I think are a little classier and a little quicker at the end. So uh, I I wouldn't say he has no chance, but he's probably not on many of my tickets unless he's a really big price, and it would be. Only if I'm playing like tries and supers would I be including him. The nine one master is twelve to one on the morning line. Um, came in from Ascot, 
and was a it was a good third last time out in the British Champion Sprint Stakes. Uh, won the the Prix de la Fera on October the fourth. That that's sort of my problem with him. Um, he's he's not a miler, he, and, and is he good enough to to stretch out and and could he win with the right type of trip? And is he classy enough to beat a group like this with you know getting things his way? Sure, but he's not. This isn't his best trip. And what concerns me a little bit is this is going to be his third start in about a month with the travel October the 4th. You come back October the 17th, then you travel, you come back, and this is going to be um, November the 7th. Feels like a lot to do and then ask a horse to go a mile. Where do you stand with one master? Well, to me, he's a lot like safe passage, but yes. I do think he leans a little more towards the sprint than safe passage, and he tends to seem to like the, the heavier ground more than safe passage. So, I mean, safe voyage. I sorry, I messed the name up. But um, <laughs> so those two are similar. But I would, I would prefer safe plus the better post. I would prefer prefer safe voyage over one master. Although one master, from a jockey standpoint, has a better rider than safe voyage. But those two are very similar types. I think. Um, yeah, and, and I don't, I don't see I, him winning either one. Yeah, I agree. I would, I would lean. Safe Voyage over one master too Because I feel like Safe Voyage is probably A little bit better going the the mile But a couple talented uh, horses there Nonetheless as we move from The 9 to the 10 Holiday and With Holiday Chris I think it's it's pretty simple They They were they were honest about it We tried to take the horse off the pace Two starts back in the Bernard Baruch and he just isn't the same. He doesn't really have. He doesn't run the same. He doesn't have the same figures. There are horses like this who are sort of one-dimensional speed types. Does that mean he can't sit off and pass horses that he's better than? No. I just don't think he can sit off and pass horses like this in a Breeders' Cup race. Could he steal a race if nobody else goes? Sure. Is he going to get that kind of trip though? There's some other speed in here, and I think this is what you were talking about with. The Americans not getting the the best of the posts We're going to have a couple of them Who want to be forwardly placed And they're going to be drawn towards the outside It's not going to make things easy on them Yeah, I mean, Luis Saez probably has to send From that post and would want to anyway And you have to figure Fran Giroux, who's really turned into a Gunnet type rider Will gun from the outside and factor this So those two are almost destined To make it at least an honest pace If not a quick pace Um, Because they have to really go early yeah, to get over before they hit that first turn. So I think that plays against Holiday. He's a nice horse, though, and he he was game last time, but he did get away with an easy lead. And I don't like the fact they had this this leg infection that required antibiotics and forced him to miss the last race. You know, that's a big negative to me. He seems to be working well since then, but you kind of want everything to go be going right. Absolutely, race like this, and and this horse, yeah, clearly the preparation hasn't gone. Uh, to plan the race shape probably isn't going to be ideal with him having factor this you know breathing down his neck on the outside so uh, i i'm kind of against holiday in here but you know if things broke well and factor this you know doesn't get out of the gate or something and he has recovered from that leg infection who knows you know he's it's always nice in a big field to be near the front because you avoid all that trouble, but uh, I'd have a hard time playing him in this race. Yeah, me too. If I could, if I had some races where I'd seen him be able to sit just a little bit, 
And then I could think, okay, he'll he'll let factor this maybe go and just track behind him. Maybe he could get the jump, but he really does not seem like he wants to stalk and pounce and then go by. He just wants to be on the front end. If there were no factor this in here, I would give him a, a big opportunity. He would be a horse I would use in pick fours and pick fives. I just I'm with you. I can't project either one of them getting a loose lead, even with the horse like Ivar right next door, who I thought Joe Talamo did an incredible job It was a great, great ride in the Shadwell Turf Mile Because he would have been parked about five wide He broke well from the outside post And Ivar would have been parked maybe five wide going into the turn Instead of that, Joe said, hey, you know what? I'm just going to take this horse back And he took the horse back He got over to the two path And he wasn't, he wasn't worried He didn't have to worry about going wide He just got this horse to settle And he closed a ton I think his morning line is a little bit short and I wouldn't be shocked if he's a little bit closer too. Um, but with the, especially with his post, he might be kind of caught in between. Is he going to have to go and then try to secure a nice spot? Are they going to just make the decision again early and try to take way back? Uh, I'm not sure what to do here with Ivar. Yeah, I liked him before the draw. I know he overcame the outside post last time, but that wasn't as tough a field. And you know, maybe he got a little bit lucky. You need some luck. Um, yeah. From that kind of a post So I, of of the U.S. horses I definitely think he's the best um, And he has upside Because he was bred in in South America So he's a four-year-old But he's like a, a four-year-old in, in January or February Rather than the end of the year And so, you know, he's coming into his own He's got talent But he's going to have a hard time Getting the, the trip to win this race But he's definitely one that could win If he can work out a trip Of the U.S. horses you know, a repeat of his last effort uh, would put him right there, and and he was very impressive in that last race. Yeah, if he was eight to one, six, like just above six, I'd feel a little bit better, and and maybe he will float up a, a little bit. I would I wouldn't be shocked if he does, and and I agree with you as far as, far as pure talent upside. I love the fact that he's shown multiple dimensions. Now we know that he can be forwardly placed, and and he to- and he showed us he can come from behind, but. Coming from behind against a group like this With some legitimate European horses And legitimate turn of foot That's going to be a whole different ball game But lightly raced with some upside As you said, maybe he can continue to progress And uh, and maybe he is up to the task What do we do with Uni, Uni Last year's uh, Breeders' Cup Mile winner Who, sort of like his sister Charlie For Chad Brown Just really has, hasn't been the same this year Then she came back, uh, Uni, in was was pretty good in the first lady Again that was a, in a softer spot She got a pretty nice trip there that day And that somebody else went to the lead In front of Newspaper of Record And the Newspaper of Record sat second We were just talking about Holiday Newspaper of Record is very similar to that Like That's not the trip Newspaper of Record won So that made things a little easier on, on, on Uni that day Was the last win enough to, to get you excited to use her in this spot, Chris? Well, I think it was definitely encouraging, um, but like you said, she had a perfect trip, and the and the time came back uh, on the same day. Uh, Ivar ran much faster at the same, you know, on the same distance, on the same course, on the same day, just two races later. So that race came back kind of slow. So I'm not sure she's all the way back, but it definitely was her best performance of the year. I don't think the post helps her much. Um, I mean, she. I don't see how she avoids a wide trip in here, uh, even with Joel Rosario. Although, if you want, to, if you can have a rider on this kind of a horse in this kind of a race, he's probably as, as good as any. Yeah, perfect fit. Yeah. But 
you know, I, I think she's a contender. Um, but Chad Brown, you know, you said Uni and Sister Charlie, but Raging Bull is in this race without parole. You know, his his stable stars from last year just have not been running back to those numbers no. this year. No. With the exception of maybe Rushing Fall. That's about the only one that comes yeah. to mind. Uh, I don't know what it is. Maybe they're just a year older, but typically at the ages that they're running, you'd expect them to be running back with a, in front of a barn like Chad Brown, at least as good as they had ran the year before. You know, Uni's not that old as a six-year-old. She ought to at least be able to come close to that. So, uh, you know, his barn's not running hot, and she her last race was an improvement over her prior ones, but still a cut below a horse like, you know, even Ivar and the the post isn't going to help her much, although the rider might, you know, I have more confidence in Joel Rosario working a trip from that post than I do Joe Talamo, even though he did give the horse a really good right, ride last and, time out. And finishing, too. You know, as far as finishing yeah. with a horse like this, he's as strong as it gets, um, you know, in the late stages. There are very few that are going to out uh, outfinish Joel um, when you're on even terms late. We get to, a, a you know, th- this horse is is... You know, he, between the 10th holiday and the 13th factor, this the two real keys to this entire race. Not in that that more horses, but that if if one of them chose to take back and not go, the other horse could actually have an opportunity to sneak away. Factor this is really talented. He is a a sort of old school horse who just chooses his speed. I respect horses like this so much, Chris, because we I think we don't see enough of it anymore nowadays. We see a lot of horses who. Get taken back a lot of rides and a lot of races Where they're going really slow That's really not the case with this horse he, he, he will get out front always He's going to get right out front He's going to run his race And if nobody goes and he doesn't get pushed He'll win I just on paper worry about the post I worry about Holiday Maybe even a horse like Ivar Or in, another horse who may be a little tactical Making him have to work a little bit harder Than he needs to try to clear this field and and that's going to be difficult for him in the late stages. Ton of respect as a horse. I just don't know if this is a great spot. I agree with you. I think between he and Halliday, I much prefer Factor. This yeah, he's just been consistently, and he's run faster early and still finished well. He'll fight you more. He feels right. like more of a fighter. Like he Halliday, kind of if he gets a cruising early like own way, he's cool. This is a horse who's going to battle you. The problem is, though, it really is the distance in that I think his ideal trip is like a mile and eighth, a mile yeah. and a quarter even, where he, he can get that lead and just settle into a, ni- a nice high cruising speed. Um, I think the shorter they go, the faster he has to go early, especially from that post and mm-hmm. with Holiday. And so that, that might take a little starch out of that grit and the, and the stretch run. But I think, you know, he... He of the two speed horses, he's the one I think is the more dangerous. Of and and you know I I think factor this will definitely be a factor and might even be a factor even at the end. So yeah, I'm not negative on him at all. I just think he's kind of up against it from a distance um, perspective and you know with Halliday in the race. Yep, sounds like we feel very very similar about factor this. We round out the field with Raging Bull, another Chad Brown trainee. Raging Bull was uh, the runner-up behind Ivar last time out, and I mean he—he's a nice horse. He—he he was a Grade One winner four starts back, but he, with his running style, he's at the mercy of a trip all the time. He things have to go perfect for him. He's drawn way outside. If he can just drop all the way back 
And settle and then make one big late run I could see him picking up some pieces late I just you know you hit it Before we even talked about any rate Any horses in this race If you're looking and comparing some of the Contenders in here it's hard To to compare the horses who have Really bad posts with the horses who have Really good posts from the inside Like If, if it's going to be which one do I Like one or the other I'm going to go with The horse who's got the much better post and that's A little unfortunate for Raging Bull here Even though he Maybe it doesn't impact him as much as it, it does some of the other horses who are either speedy or maybe tactical, and they get hooked wider. I agree, but winning from post fourteen, yeah, at a mile at Keeneland, that that against the best us, group he's ever faced by far, right? And a horse that typically does uh, have to get lucky to win. I mean, when he runs his best and gets a good trip, he's a good horse. And I thought his last race was good. I mean. Yeah, he when he finally got in the clear, he he came flying home late. So it's not like he doesn't have talent, but it almost seems like his best races have been when they keep him out of trouble. And in this case, that will mean a pretty wide trip. Um, and it's hard to see him beating, you know, some of these better horses like even Ivar or, but certainly you know, Cameco, unless they just have brutal trips and and you know lose their chances. It's kind of hard seeing Raging Bull getting the job done. But and again, we I talked about the Chad Brown horses. They just haven't been quite as good this year as they were yeah. last year. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Example, not so that they're, they're running bad. No, but, but but lots of second and thirds instead of winning. Right. And that's that's the difference, and that's what you know has made Chad Brown over the last few years is just sweeping races, winning everything. Instead, we're seeing a lot more minor awards and horses just on speed figures and numbers too. Not just not quite as sharp either. Um, this this was a, a really fun field to discuss. A full field of fourteen traveling a mile with some intriguing European horses. I always love watching some of those uh, European replays. It's 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 just fun, fun and exciting. I'm a big replay guy myself. And then you have, as you mentioned, the U.S. horses who are a little bit up against it, mainly because of their draw. There are some talented horses at, towards the outside that could win, but they're going to really need to be on their A game or things have to go perfectly for them to get the better of some of the horses to the inside. It feels like you and I kind of uh, landed on the same horse as the one to beat in here with the uh, with the two Cameco. Give me give me some of the others that you'll be throwing in some exotics. Yeah, I do think it comes down to trips, and given the post draw, I think it favors Euros. Cameco is definitely the key, I think. I would use Circus Maximus and Siskin for sure. Probably Ivar, Uni, and Factor This or the others, and maybe Safe Voyage. Um, but to me, uh, Cameco would be the, the key to the race for me in here. Chris Larmy, Chris, uh, give us uh, your plugs for the folks who want to want to follow along. Po- great podcast. Uh, you have a lot of written stuff out there sometimes, and just a great follow on social media. Anything that we can expect from you coming out in the next days, and where can we follow along? Well, on Twitter, I'm Derby one fifty nine two, so D E R B Y one five nine two, and I do tweet out a lot of stuff. I don't know if any of it's worth. Um, following but i'm out there <laughs> scott carson and i from sport of kings uh he has a contest website sportofkings.net and we do a podcast on a weekly basis this week we're kind of in on steroids because of breeders cup and we just recorded a, a pod for the friday races that will probably drop sometime this afternoon and we're nice. talking 
right now. I'm not sure when this will air, but we're we're talking, talking early Wednesday, and this will probably be out like Wednesday night. Yeah, by before Thursday mornings, no doubt. So yeah, and then we're gonna do another pod um, on tomorrow, uh, covering the Saturday races. So. If you want to hear more from me, uh, you can listen on that. There's kind of pod overload right now going to the BC, but that's half the fun is listening yeah. to your opinions and, and chatting with people about the races. So Yeah, being a sponge, just like we said, you know, and knowing how to use the all of the information. Like one thing too, I'm not I'm not and I'm and you're not, I'm sure you're not. I'm not the type of person and many aren't that I'm not gonna just blindly put in somebody else's pick five ticket. But what I love to throw on your podcast and it, and if you were Scott is mentioning a horse in a race where you know I'm I'm spreading out and you guys have a horse that I don't have I'm always throwing that horse on my ticket you know and I think you know adding a lot of times or when when I have an opinion on a horse and then I hear one of you two feel similarly it kind of gives you a little bit of confidence okay maybe that's a horse I'll I'll be a little bit more inclined to single now or feel that way so yeah it's it, there's so much information out there and and people don't say oh I don't I don't want to go information overload I kind of go the other way I like taking it all in Kind of absorbing it all I learned some things and, and maybe some angles uh, for the future And you guys are a great, great listen You really you bring on great different guests all the time And uh, and as everybody could hear we go uh, As we went through this field You're very, very sharp um, in many ways In handicapping and in gambling And as a contest player You you kind of just look at it a little bit differently too You're, you're always trying to uh, extract a little bit of value Out of the race Which is the sort of similar to how I play It's not just about picking the winner It's about let's get some value while we're doing it Definitely, that's that's the the key. It's not just picking winners. That's part of the process. But what you're really trying to do is find some value, so in the long run you can come out ahead in a really challenging game. Chris Larmy, I uh, really appreciate this, Chris. It's been a long time coming. I I, I honestly I miss uh, it. It feels. It was only about like a six month time uh, during the Elite Racing Network days, but it it feels like it went on for longer because I, I talked to you. You know, I think every Saturday, Sunday for maybe close to that whole six months, and so it's always great catching up with you again. Uh, I miss those conversations, and hopefully, we'll do this more often. Anytime you need a guest over there, let me know, and I'll, I'll love to get you back on here again. Uh, definitely, and I, I love uh, we will love to have you on our pod, and I'd love to be you know join you again. We had a, a blast back when we did that those um, elite broadcasts, so I oh, really yeah. enjoyed that. Um, it was fun. Me too. I learned a lot from you, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon. I'll touch base with you throughout the week, and uh, let's hope we get a Cameco and a, and a couple other winners on, on throughout the Friday Saturday. Sounds good. Good luck. That is Chris Larmy. You heard how to follow him on social media. Don't go anywhere, folks. We will be back in just a second. We'll move on from race number nine to race number ten on Breeders' Cup Saturday. It looks like Chris and I are going to land uh, on the same one here with. Cameco, the number two in race number nine, the mile there. So um, I've, I'm looking at a Cameco, the deuce who I have as my top selection there. I'll make a win wager. As long as he's like three to one or over, I think that's that's fair value. I, I just hope he doesn't get bit, get hit a little harder than that. Siskin will also be on my tickets, and the six safe voyage uh, will be on most tickets as well. Those are sort of the, the top tier for me, two, four, six. And uh, the next tier of horses to include would be five, digital age, the 13 factor, this, and, you know, the, the question marks we, I would have would be the 11 and 12, would be uh, would be Ivar and Uni, neither would completely shock me, and I, I just like some others a little bit more, so it would be two, four, six, 
513 and then the others to to look at would be uh, 11 and 12 depending on the price and and how deep you want to go that is in the breeders cup mile race number nine on saturday over at keeneland i'll let you know a little bit about our friends over at old smoke clothing.com i mentioned that we had an interview with the co-founder kurt rossner on uh, the previous podcast on the part one uh, episode of the the breeders cup saturday old smoke clothing.com is a website is a company that has horse racing t-shirts hats zip-ups quality quality clothing here talking hoodies tank tops long sleeve shirts and with the promo code gino you can get free shipping on your order. Custom designs with whatever you want. You can check out special collections that they have, like the Kentucky Derby or Secretariat. Then they have the the Clubhouse. Clubhouse is it is a exclusive membership for fans. Quarterly packages delivered to your doorsteps with apparel and exclusive things, uh, items, experience that encompass the lifestyle of the sport of kings. So for $500, you have four separate deliveries. You get the Eclipse, four separate quarterly packages. The Eclipse, which comes the first week of January. The Derby, which comes the first week of April. The Spa, which comes the first week of July. And the Royal, which comes the first week of October. Each of these quarterly packages will include a t-shirt that is only available to members, custom horse racing theme gift, and then another package filler. Annually, you're going to get a headwear made exclusively for members. You're going to get designer outerwear made exclusively for members. In this membership perk, you get 20% off all of your orders at oldsmokeclothing.com. You get access to the Old Smoke Clubhouse online forum. You get a video featured appearance on americasbestracing.net, quarterly betting contests, cashback referral program, additional perks added quarterly. For more information, you can email clubhouse at oldsmokeclothing.com. That's just one of the many things at oldsmokeclothing.com. And don't forget about that promo code G-I-N-O. Get you free shipping on your order. Are you a big fan of Tis the Law, Midnight Bisu, maybe Authentic, or She Dares the Devil? They have t-shirts that represent all of those horses. Show the horse racing fan in you. And don't forget promo code G-I-N-O. Gets you free shipping on on your order. On to the distaff. Race number 10 for your Saturday Breeders' Cup card. Christina Blacker from TVG will join me to discuss race number 10. We go horse by horse throughout the field for the distaff. Kick back and enjoy. One of the most exciting of all of Breeders' Cup weekend coming up. It is the Breeders' Cup distaff. And I am really excited to talk to one of my old friends. Well, still my friend, but one of my old colleagues over at TVG. Someone... You know, you, you see someone like almost every day or a few times a week for years, and then all of a sudden you don't see him at all. Christina, I miss you so much. How you doing, Christina Blacker, joining us here on That's What G Said? I know. It's been a long time. It is great to be with you. I'm doing well. I just got to Kentucky uh, and just sort of adjusting to the time, but excited to see some of the horses here up close and personal for myself and to kind of make those final decisions as we get closer to Friday and Saturday. Oh, and we got a cool race to talk about. I mean, when you're talking about some of the stars in the the sport of horse racing right now, we've got two big ones in the distaff. That's sort of how the betting 
will will probably be be played out in that it'll be it looks like on paper Swiss Skydiver and Monomoy Girl and what a top two to headline this race. We're, we're talking about Monomoy Girl who won the the distaff back in 2018 a couple years ago, and then you as, as you know with being the the wife of a trainer. When a horse has an injury like that, a lot of times they just don't come back, or if they do, they're never the same as Monomoy Girl. And she's come back and actually run figures that are just as good, even better. Yeah, that's the thing about her that's so remarkable, isn't it? I mean, for one thing, her overall record, 12 for 14, (laughs) to spend all that time that she did on the sidelines. I mean, from November of 2018, from that Breeders' Cup to staff at Churchill, all the way until May of this year, and then to come back. As you say, not only three victories, but I'm a big Thurgraf player. And if you look at her page, she's getting better year on year. And we're seeing that from her. And we're seeing the numbers, you know, the lower the number, the better the race on Thurgraf. The numbers are going lower. She's into the negative territory in her last couple of races. And she really is as good, if not better, than she has ever been right now. And we were lucky in the in just as far as the older Philly and Mare division because sort of when she went down, Midnight Bisu kind of picked up the mantle for her and ran with it for a while, and she was the top. Unfortunately, there's no Midnight Bisu in this race, but we're gonna have a a Philly who's gonna step up and face older. And Christina, I don't think I can remember a campaign. I mean, even the Rachel Alexandra campaign when she beat the boys and she went all over. She didn't run this much. She didn't travel all over to all of these different tracks with no breaks from November. I don't remember Philly, Mayor, Colt, older, younger, a, a horse quite like this one that we've seen. You, you, you keep every race, I keep thinking it's got to catch up with her, right? And then she just keeps running better. I know. I, I completely agree. I mean, you look at her past performances from, you know, this time. Last year, and you're talking about races at Tampa, Fairgrounds, Gulfstream, Oakland, Santa Anita, Keeneland, Saratoga, Churchill, Pimlico. This is the first time she's been back to someplace at all in a calendar year. It really is remarkable. And, you know, looking at her and watching her and seeing the way she is in the mornings and the way she trains and the way she just kind of is a little bit of a boss out there, struts her stuff and is very full of herself and even in the barn in the morning when other horses start to go out, she gets antsy. She gets to pawing at the ground. She gets to sort of letting people know her trainer, most notably that she wants to get out there and have her opportunity to train as well. So you can see why Kenny McPeak just kind of keeps going back to the well, because she is so hardy and so strong and really thriving. But I agree with you. You look at her races and you think at some point, gosh, these battles, these battles that she's been in in those last two races, especially, are they ever going to catch up with her? I'm not sure. I I, I don't think so. The one thing that I will say, though, from looking at just especially her last two races, talking about Swiss Skydiver and isolating her and her trips, I noticed that in the Kentucky Oaks, as soon as she dares the devil kind of took control and asserted herself, it seemed to me like Swiss Skydiver didn't really want to fight on and try to pass her. Like she almost has a bit of an attitude herself and she knew she was passed and just wasn't really laying it down. Whereas in the Preakness, you watch that kind of cagey move from Robbie Alvarado going down the backstretch where he sent her through the rail early in the race, took control of the race. And at that point, She was sort of the dominant horse in that battle all the way down the length of the stretch in the Preakness. She never really let Authentic get by. I think that's kind of how she wants to have things go her own way and that she's in control. 
And I'm wondering how that's all going to shake out because Monomoy Girl really does benefit from drawing to the outside. I think either one of them can stalk and have a target. Either one of them could go to the lead and take control the whole way around there. But the opportunity and the advantage to Monomoy Girl on the outside with the draw, I think is going to play out to have a significance in the outcome this year. Yeah, I completely agree. Just just flip-flopping the two of them getting to sit to the outside of one another. And I, that was a, a really key point you mentioned on Swiss Skydiver because it's sort of she she's sort of the opposite of what you would think with most other horses. Like she wants to fight you. <laughs> In other situations you would say, "Oh, well don't get caught up in sort of a battle, you know, maybe sit off the horse or sit behind." She's the other way. It's like you don't want to let her sit too far back. I think just like you said cuz then maybe she gets, I don't want to say lazy, but she's kind of just kind of okay running where she is. If if you're neck and neck with her, she's not gonna gonna put up. Uh, she's not gonna stop. She's gonna put up a yeah. fight. She's gonna battle you. And uh, and I've just gained so much respect for her throughout this year. And and what a great job they've done with her. Um, let's go inside to outside, and we'll hit a, a thought or two on on uh, each of these horses, and then and then we'll uh, give some final thoughts overall. We have a couple West Coast horses uh, down towards the inside, and Cece Christina got really really good. In the early part of 2020 When she won the Beholder Mile And then she went over and won the Apple Blossom She looked like she was on that short list Of the best fillies um, in, in training out there right now in North America And then she Not even, she wasn't bad She just kind of tailed off a little bit She she ran into Fighting Matt a couple times Who got loose on the lead and, and then she really didn't have much excuse in her last start She was just kind of chasing a really fast pace And I think that's a little little bit more than what she wants to do I could see her jumping up and running big, but could is it big enough to compete with the top two? Yeah, that's a good point. Even if she's on her absolute A game, is it enough? I'm not sure. Uh, but I, And I really think that after the Apple Blossom, she just got a little sour. Like her yeah. last few races, uh, the Santa Mar- Maria, the Clement Hirsch, to me, and when you watch those replays, she just didn't try at all at mm-hmm. that point. I was a little bit encouraged by the Derby City Distaff in that she was chasing a pace and she was never going to keep up with those horses. But I did think that as they turned for home, she made a move. She yeah. actually tried. And yeah. I didn't see that from her in Southern California in the two races prior. So I think the one thing for her that is maybe uh, sort of hoping that she's going to get back to some of that form is if that race sharpened her up, mm-hmm. which I think that's possible. But again, even if she does get back to her best, I think she has her hands full with Swiss Skydiver and Monomoy Girl. Yeah, toughest she's ever going to face, and she's going to have to go the farthest she's ever been too. Like if this was at a mile, I'd feel maybe a little bit better about her chances, saving some ground from the inside. But um, I, I don't know if she really wants to even go this far. We will move to the number two, who uh, Harvest Moon, who's gotten really good for Simon Callahan, uh, an excellent conditioner. This one's won four in a row, and she beat the Sharp Fighting Mad, who beat CC a couple times. It's a situation where I'm just. A little concerned because she's got that same Sort of running style as Monomoy Girl And as Swiss Skydiver And I, she could be right up in that Same flight I love where she's Going I love what she's doing and I've kind of got Her earmarked as as maybe a filly to keep An eye on next year and I, could, I wouldn't be Shocked if she hit the, the board in here I just Same type of thing I, I use those two In this race in particular as like a measuring Stick and how everyone stacks Up towards them and I just don't know if she's There quite yet I would agree, but I also think that she is improving really rapidly, mm-hmm. and so that's kind of scary, right? Like, she yep. could be scary good, and she is going to be one of those that at four years old, you're really looking forward to 
what she's able to do. I think that as far as the pace goes, she has kind of been forced to keep up with some of the front runners just because she didn't want to let those horses get away from her. Great point in small fields and SoCal. And Mm -hmm. talking about, you know, hard not to love. Like those are fast horses. I think ideally Harvest Moon would rather sit a little farther back with that big stride and then just kind of get rolling late. I'm wondering if we see Flavian Pratt just let her settle a bit more because we know that there's that speed from Monomoy Girl and from Swiss Skydiver. And if he lets her sit mid-pack, she's a big filly with a big stride. He does need to keep her out in the clear. But perhaps if those two are so busy with each other, the only way to beat them is to blow by them and not to get involved in one of those battles. I think there's a scenario where Harvest Moon could come with that big stride, be rolling late. I wouldn't be shocked, I guess I should say, if she yeah, were to get up and win because she is improving so quickly. But she does need to keep taking those very incremental steps forward to beat them on Friday is, or on Saturday. Which is something that Dunbar Road didn't do in her last start. She won the Delaware Handicap. And in her first couple starts this year, she beat horses that she was just better than. But when she was... Really tested um, She was a really flat at last time out I guess we can give her a mulligan though It was a, it was sort of a weird race And so anytime there's there's a race where There's a, a sort of a runoff horse that goes loose Like eight or nine lengths In this case, the, the horse right next to her Horologist was in the same race And Horologist ran a bizarre race Because Horologist was fast Was right up on the pace battling And then realized early on they were going way too quick So she dropped back She was like three lengths out of it And then it looked like she was going to be just backing out of it and running last She was like backing up, backing up And then boom, kicked into another gear Came right back, never let Dunbar Road Get by her And she went right by And she ends up winning by three So these are the two, uh, the three and the four Dunbar Road and Horologist, they come out of the Bell Dame And if you're looking at figures Dunbar Road is probably a little bit light Horologist got a big number for that last one She's won two of her last three With these two, do uh, you either one of them Strike your fancy at all? Yeah, a little bit. I think Dunbar Road, what I like about her the most, it's just, she just seems like a real professional. She kind of, you know, relaxes. You can sort of put her anywhere you want to as far as the pace goes. I think she's another one that will end up being shuffled back a little further off than we're used to seeing her. But I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily for her. I like the fact that she has that really long kind of sustained run, but she doesn't necessarily have the acceleration that the other you know, top two horses that we keep talking about have. So again, I see her maybe rolling down the middle of the racetrack, possibly getting a piece of it. I'm not sure she's there as far as the figures go to pass, you know, some of the others in here. Horologist, uh, to me, what I like most about her is how Bill Mott really campaigns for specific goals. And I think if you look at her and her pattern of numbers, it looks like she's just getting better and better right now. And he really does cultivate horses to peak on a big day it's like Richard Mandela you know these kind of old school trainers they train with these championships in mind these days they don't worry about win percentage her yeah no they're exactly Mm -hmm. they're they're talking about a campaign and an overall resume so I could see her continuing to improve as well and and she'll need to you know if she wants to get to Monomoy Girl or Swiss Skydiver I think if I had to choose between the two of them though I'd probably lean more towards horologist right now 
Yeah, I agree. Um, and I, I echo your sentiments in that Den- like I, I might even like Dunbar Road going a little longer because she mm-hmm. just is such a grinder. Like with they were going a mile and a quarter and just keep going because, like you said, I, if, if she's four or five lengths behind, I'm worried that she doesn't have the turn of foot to pass everyone. But if she's just in a perfect spot and can can just grind along, she might be tough to to pass if she's right up in the mix. So uh, two horses coming out of the Bell Dame. There we talked a lot about Swiss Skydiver. We'll move to Lady Kate. Lady Kate was in a situation last time out in the spinster that that probably on paper looked a lot better for her, and she was still overmatched by Valiant's Ollie's Candy. Um, she's been defeated by Monomoy Girl a couple times here. She's a a pace type. I mean, I could I could see her on the lead, and maybe the other two sitting second and third behind her if they want to let her go. Yeah, that's true, and that's going to be really interesting just to see how much of an effect. She has on the early pace Because mm-hmm. you know does she kind of Take it to Swiss Skydiver And Monomoy Girl early or does Tyler Gaffleone just let her Find her own stride and not Sort of take her weapon Away from her you know which is To use that that speed I as you say overmatched I think is a good word for her she's a very Nice filly and she's A stakes winner but she Needs to improve many many lengths If she wants to compete with these horses, but she will have an impact just because mm-hmm. of that early speed. And I think you could say kind of the same for point of honor to her outside in a different way. You know, she's going to be closing. She'll be a different tactical type, but again, she's a nice filly and maybe she's one that's going to continue to get better and better. And she's been there or thereabouts in these grade ones, but these horses have beaten her kind of on the square a few times. And I don't see, Lady Kate or Point of Honor really turning the tables on some of these older fillies that have already beaten them so far. No, I'm and I'm fine with um if you're if you're the an exacta tri super player, I'm fine with Point of Honor in two, three, four spots. It just feels like so much would need to go right for her. And mm-hmm. kind of the way that you were pointing like picturing the race, it, I can see a situation where Swiss Skydiver and Monomoy Girl are really worried about each other and they're they're you know, they're riding this race to kind of, you know, make their moves and playing a little cat and mouse. And then one of them, you know, gets a little tired early. I could see point of honor picking up some pieces, completing your try at a big price. Sure. I just I'd have a tough time getting to her in the win end here. She she would need to jump up. What about a, a lightly raced horse like the number eight here? Valiance who has won three In a row she just won the spinster And she beat Ollie's Candy I will say is that Ollie's Candy is lined up Right next to her too poor Ollie's Candy Is one of the most unlucky Mares that you will find she's a grade one Winner she's run all over but when you look At some of her defeats and And just some of the trips that she's had Where she kind of had to get inside And get shuffled or she loses By a neck or a nose She always shows up and Valiance is a nice one. She's on the upswing. Um, again, though, like the same the same conversation we've had with all of these. How are they going to be able? Are they? What kind of a trip would they need, or how would this race need to unfold for them to beat one of the big gals in here? Yeah, you know, I think for me, Valiance outside of the top two is probably the next horse. Like mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm giving you a one, two, three, I think Valiance is my third horse in here because. Uh, one angle that I always love is that improving four-year-old. And I really think that's her. You look at her last few races and they've also switched her, you know, from the turf to the main track. I think they've really figured out what she's best at now and she's getting better with each and every start. I think in that last race, you know, she did have a perfect trip. I'll say that, but she held off the rally from all. She kind of makes her her trip though. She's she's the kind of one. Did she, she's been in that trip every time. 
you yeah, know, no, I think that's fair to say. And I think that's probably puts her right in the perfect spot behind that cat and mouse game that you're talking about with the Swiss skydiver and Monomoy girl, right? She's not going to be as far back as Dunbar road or as point of honor, but she's not going to be up there on the lead fighting it out early. I think she sits a really good trip in here. And because she's improving, you know, if the top two outdo each other, I think she's the horse. I think she's the one that, that gets there as far as Ollie's candy goes. I completely agree. I mean, she's about a length away from four grade one wins. If you <laughs> add up all those defeats, I think the most heartbreaking one was the apple blossom. Oh yeah. She just did all the dirty work on the front end and then still was passed in that last little bit. She's durable. She's tough. I, I love her, but she seems to me, she's always under a drive. It's you look through her yeah. races and every, stride they're asking and pushing and really having to get after her to give her best she's relentless but she keeps coming up short in those those battles and I'd love to see it all come together for her kind of on the biggest stage because that would be sort of a reward for all of those heartbreaking defeats but I think it's probably going to be much of the same for her she's kind of one-paced and I don't see her able to out battle horses that have already defeated her this year yeah, I, I agree with you. She's if you told me she was a two, three, four runner in here, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd be a little a little surprised if she was able to get by the top two. And then Monomoy Girl rounds out the field. And I, I kind of feel the same way with you, Christina. After and, and and we'll all have different approaches on how we're gonna you know wager on this race and, and some will probably single Monomoy Girl, some will single Swiss Skydiver, some will use them both and it depends. Are you a pick four player, pick five player, are you uh, playing your tries or I I would be right there with you with the next horse for me, and that would be Valiance, and then and then after that would probably be CC for me with some with some question marks. At least knowing that CC has a race or two to jump back to that could probably beat this group. Um, but we got a quality, I mean, a quality group. To me, this is one of the most fun things about the Breeders' Cup when you get a really cool three year old coming in facing an older horse, and we could we honestly. Could not have scripted out a better matchup With a three-year-old like Swiss Skydiver In the year she's had She's beat the boys and then she comes in here And she faces a former Breeders' Cup Distaff winner who's been Near perfect as you mentioned Over the last couple of years Monomoy girl So not only do we have a good race With quality horses we have some fun Storylines leading into the Distaff Yeah we really do and you know there's a, There was a little chatter on Twitter about this After the Preakness talking about Chestnut mares and sometimes they can just be Really known for being especially Kind of cantankerous or difficult to deal With at times and I think that's part of what Makes a good Philly great Right you think back over the years all the Really great ones kind of had a little bit of an attitude I think you get that from both Monomoy Girl and Swiss Skydiver They very much are right Equal. You got it like yeah. in any sport, any like great athlete, you have to have a little bit of like a, an ego, a little bit of that that little confidence to get to where you are. Right? There, there's it's it's not a it's not a coincidence why you're one of the best of the best, and it's it's a lot of times it's what's between the ears as much as the talent there too. So uh, I agree. I just I'm really in a year that's been so trying, Christina. This weekend did not disappoint. I mean, from as far as. It, whatever you want If you want to see quality with the stars If you want big fields I mean the first race on Friday Is a 14 horse field With 2 year olds going 5.5 furlongs On the turf <laughs> I Yeah mean, it's true it really is And like touch wood I mean we had Vekoma uh, came up with a fever And so we'll not run mm-hmm. in the sprint But I think overall You think about the last couple of weeks And this last bit of training 
everybody's showing up. Everybody's yeah. here. We, we're not dealing with some huge last minute defection. And I don't want to speak too soon because we do still have some time. But still, for the most part, uh, despite all the circumstances and despite even the hoops that we all have to jump through, whether it's the horses, the horsemen, the staff that need to be there, everybody's been able to to get here and get here safely and to compete this weekend. Christina, I am so uh, happy to have talked to you And honestly, you are one of the absolute best When it comes to handicapping, when it comes to reporting But you might be the nicest person in all of horse racing (laughs) You are so sweet, you are so honest with everyone That's why they love you That's why everyone always likes to give you information And tell you what's going on And you are so well informed I I look forward to bringing you back This has been, I'm in my head I'm like, I can't believe I haven't talked to her Or brought her on the show before to talk So thank you so much for for coming on with me and, uh, And let the folks out there no, what what when can we see you this week? What are some of the things that you're working on and where can we follow you? Yeah, I really appreciate that. I sincerely do. Um, I'll be everywhere. I'm going to be on the player show, which is sort of the international uh, simulcast feed. I'll do a little bit of work for TVG as well, just kind of bouncing back and forth between those two shows. Uh, finishing up the breakfast at the Breeders' Cup shows, which has been really fun to to see the horses bright and early in the mornings, and then just on Twitter and Instagram and doing some stuff for Equibase uh, this week as well, researching those stats, race lens, angles like usual, and just kind of, I don't know, I've, I've got a lot going on, but it's great to be a part of all of it and just to be talking about the game that we all love. I and just before I let you go, I got to. I was listening to one of the the re- watching a replay, and and I'm pretty sure it was you from the Breeders' Cup Mile from last year when the the two gals won. And I think you jumped in and said, "Girl power!" You were so excited, and too, and so that's where we're gonna hear you on a lot of the Breeders' Cup feeds, right? I was like, so fingers crossed. Last year, I had I singled the late pick four on Saturday, so. Uni was one of my oh, nice. top picks. That's Mina great. So um, basically, the the disc staff I had Blue Prize, all of them. So oh, I'm hoping awesome. that it all comes together again because I have definitely put in the time. I've watched more replays than I mean, my head is spinning. I've gotten so much <laughs> we information. I was gonna say we can absolutely I tell. I just hope it all it all pays off and the horses get a little racing luck and it uh, turns out to be helpful to people out there. Christina, thank you so much. Appreciate your hard work. You have a great, great week, and um, um, hope you and the family are doing well. I always get a smile on my face anytime I see a, a Dan Blacker horse get a win. I'm always rooting for you guys, so uh, hope all is well. And I'd love to talk to you again soon. Maybe, uh, maybe when Santa Anita gets ready to open back up, I'll bring you back on around opening uh, opening day time. That'd be great, Gino. Call anytime. Good to talk to you. Folks, don't go anywhere. A big thank you to Christina Blacker there from TVG. We'll be back with much more on that's what G said. Always nice uh, talking to Christina. It's been a while since I was able to to catch up with her. This has actually been her first time on That's What G Said. Hopefully the first of many more. Make sure to follow along with Christina. You could tell she was super prepared and ready to rock to talk about the distaff. And I, I agree with her w- with most. It's just it's hard for me to make cases against Midnight uh, to get Midnight Beast. Who I was going to say against Monomoy Girl and into a Skydiver. A lot of it come, would come down to price. If if I, I like the post a little bit better for Monomoy Girl, I probably it, it would be tight. I mean, it would be. I, I just I don't like doing this where you're using two short price horses in one race. But in this particular case, I'm I'm going to be using the both of them, and then probably CC. 
in in some exotics, I will throw in uh, Valiance, who Christina was talking about, and Point of Honor would be my next two. So be five, ten, one, eight, seven. How I have them stacked here in the distaff. Five, ten. Feel a cut above everyone else, and probably a lot of exotics that'll be just built around those two, which means. You know, if I'm going to shorten up and be using two horses or maybe those two NCC, so not a ton of opportunities for big prices, I can't just play other races with, with chalk two. So so keep an eye on how you're building your tickets when you're playing your pick fours, your pick fives. You don't want to just be using, even, even though it is the Breeders' Cup, right? We still think big fields, big payouts and everything. You don't want to be setting yourself up to where you're only using the top couple choices in multiple races in a row because... It's just really not worth playing unless you're playing a small ticket, punch it, and repeat it a few times. That's the Breeders' Cup distaff. We're going to move from the distaff to the turf. Before we do, we have to talk about Sarah Candles. C-E-R-A Candles.com. That's the website, SarahCandles.com. And if you use the promo code G-I-N-O, it'll get you 10% off your purchase. These are all natural soy wax candles. They're not like the, the normal paraffin wax candles that you see with the other leading brands. These ones have no toxins, no carcinogens, no pollutants. They're handmade. They're going to burn longer, and they're better for you. Affordable pricing, we're talking like 20 different options on candle scents, seasonal scents, scents for every mood, every time, three different sizes for you. This is a local small business. I, I know the uh, the creator. I know uh, Tyler Herringer who runs Sarah Candles, went to school with him, grew up with him, played on sports teams with him. This is a really good guy. He just wanted to create a candle that he loved, that he thought was going to be a little bit healthier. And he figured, wow, you know what? This is something that I want to be able to, to share with friends, family, and created Sarah Candle Company. Now has the business, a small business. Let's support them. Don't forget that promo code G-I-N-O. 10% off your purchase. This is a great holiday gift with the you know, Christmas and, and all the holidays coming up soon. Friends, family, boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, co-workers, anyone you can send these to because you can give them a, a different candle for a you know, different holiday, different date of the year, scents for different moods, maybe just the way that one you think uh, will represent each one of your friends or someone in your life. SarahCandles.com promo code G-I-N-O gets you 10% off the purchase. On to the Breeders' Cup turf. Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali back. They uh, were with me earlier to talk about the Philly and Mare turf on part one of the Breeders' Cup Saturday podcast. They're going to be back to talk about the turf on this one. Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali, we talk Breeders' Cup turf. On to the Breeders' Cup Turf race number 11. Darren Zocali, Andrew Champagne joining me again to discuss this one. And I got to say, there's a horse who we'll, we'll begin with right off the bat. We're on race number 11 on, uh, on November the 7th. And we're going a mile and a half at Keeneland on the turf course here. We're beginning with Arklow. Um, Arklow was good. Last time out, there's no getting around that. I just have played against him a lot recently. He he generally takes a good amount of money. I I cannot see him winning the Breeders' Cup. He's been fourth and eighth in his two prior Breeders' Cup turfs. 
He defeated Red Knight, who came back to win the Great The Sycamore. He was fifth. He was too deep. He was three off. And he got the jump, and he was challenged. He put away the rival Red Knight, who was the next out winner. Nothing to knock about his last effort. I don't know if he can step up and win this one, Darren. And I would want a better price on him than five to one. But yeah, I, you, you touched on it there. I mean, we talked about morning lines, and, and there are some. There are some bad lines throughout this Breeders' Cup. We're not—I know—we're not talking about the mile, but Ivar might be the worst favorite in the history of that race in terms of morning line. Um, but how is Arclo the same price in the morning line as Channel Maker? I mean, and, and I'm not saying that Channel Maker is the end-all, be-all, but from a speed figure perspective, from the eye test, from the fact that this race doesn't really have a whole lot of early speed to it, how, how is Channel Maker not—I don't know—half the price of Arclo? Like that, I mean, to me, that's just crazy. If you're getting the same price on Arco or Channel Maker, you're betting Channel Maker every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Um, look, you know, he's, he ran well in the Kentucky Turf Cup, but I just don't think Red Knight and Zulu Alpha are up to this type of competition. Uh, you know, can he rally into it for a piece? Sure, but he's in no better form, and he's actually a little bit slower uh, this year coming into this race than he was last year. And I understand there's no bricks and mortar in this field, um, but I don't like him at all at five to one. I mean, you know, can he run an okay third? Sure. But I, like you said, I would want a hell of a bigger price than this. I need to say something before we start, because I'm going to be saying this for a lot of horses in this field. I need to just do something right off the bat, just so nobody says anything stupid. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I say that because the American turf horses this year, <laughs> I, 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 I can't do it. You're telling me that Arklo, a loser of 10 of his last 12 starts, dating back to the start of 2019, is 5-1 to one in the Breeders' Cup turf which boasts a $4 million purse. No, just no. I want no part of this horse. If this horse beats me, I will gladly live with it. I will gladly admit that I was wrong, but Darren hit it. Lousy morning line here with Arklo at five to one. I think he'll be closer to 15 to one than he will be to five to one. Yes, he looked fine last time out in a grade three at Kentucky Downs. This is not a grade three at Kentucky Downs. The Euros are here. They are here in full force, and we'll get to a couple of them in the next couple of horses we take a look at. No dice for me with Arkla. Magical is just a really quality mare. She was a 2018 runner-up. She's an obvious top contender. She's been a little better at a, a mile and a quarter as of late. Last out, she was asked early. She settled fifth in between horses. She was in the third flight, about four lengths off. She was searching for room, and, but she was she was buried inside. She was just begging out for a seam. She was blocked. It was a brutal trip. She got some room late. She just missed second. I can't let her beat me in here, Darren. Um, she's going to be one of the top contenders. I think she deserves to be so. She's really, really quality. I, I'm probably not making a win wager on her at five to two or two to one, but I'm not letting her beat me. So, in all honestly, I um, I think she's better at a mile and a quarter than she is in a mile and a half. Um, that's just now. I listen. I understand that she's run well at a mile and a half, and obviously her effort against the Nable uh, in the turf a couple of years ago. I mean, I get it, but I I, I don't think this is her A plus distance. 
she's still the most talented horse in the field. I wouldn't want to take too short of a price. Uh, she's not coming into this as some kind of a European juggernaut, but she's talented. She drew, she's well posted. She should be able to work out a good trip here behind the speed. Uh, and she'll get, you know, close to first run on them. You know, utmost respect for her. Can't let, she's not my top pick in the race, but I can't let her beat me either. I'm in a similar boat. I picked her second in here. Uh, back in 2019, the only problem she had is she kept running into Enable. She was second in the Coral Eclipse. She was second in the Yorkshire Oaks. And in the Yorkshire Oaks, she beat the third place finisher by 10 lengths. It, Magical's been running time form ratings in the 120 to 125 range. If you go off the conversion scale, that'd be in the mid 100s, probably about a 105, 106, 107 as a buyer speed figure. That kind of a race would make her very tough to beat in here. The only hesitation that I have is something that you two mentioned with regard to the distance. She's a mile and a quarter horse. She can go a mile and a half. It's not quite her A game. And for that reason, I picked her second as opposed to on top. But she is one of two A horses in here for me. She's 5-2 to two on the morning line. She will almost certainly go favored. I've got the the Philly Tarnawa picked on top. She's looking for her fourth win in a row. She's got back-to-back group one wins. She's got legit excuses for two of the only poor performances you really see on the page. Last out, she ends up settling about ninth of ten. She's eight lengths off. She's in the two path. She tips to the outside and she just plucks them off. She really got going, and um, it was it was. More than a neck defeat, it was like a well measured defeat, and, and she had him all the time. All the time, I like Turnawa uh, quite a bit in here. If we can get anything around five to one, uh, what do you think, DZ? Yeah, key use for me. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't have a uh, a strong opinion as a specific winner uh, in this race. This is not a race that I'm going to be keying on in multi race exotics and taking a stand. But Turnawa is going to be one of my A horses for all the reasons that you said. Uh, developing at the right time, getting better and better, beating good horses. Uh, I, I just think that she fits this spot nicely. I think the Europeans are better than the Americans. And I, I think she's probably second most likely to win the race, third most likely to win the race. And and the price should, you know, be decent enough there. So, yeah, for me, uh, she's a, a key use and she's going to be on the top line. There's a lot to like here with Tarnawa. European getting first-time Lasix, which I love, especially if you heard me talk about that in the Breeders' Cup Philly in our turf preview that we did. Europeans tend to get a big bump when getting Lasix for the very first time. Trainer Dermot Weld is a world-class horseman. This guy knows how to win big races. Sumayan comes over to ride, has won two straight Group 1 events over in France. The distance will not be a problem. Six to one on the morning line. I'll take the under on that. Tarnawa I, is my top pick. I agree with Gino completely. And Gino, that should scare the hell out of you. <laughs> it does. Like the name of this next horse, Medahi. Medahi. Bless you. Bless you. There, there's the number four here. Um, Darren, I just, I can't really get to her in this race. She's really been her own worst enemy too. And, you know, Andrew was going through the running lines in, in one of the previous races we talked about and, you know, dwelt towards the rear, steadied behind leaders, towards the rear, um, off slow, um, lacked room, lacked room. She's another one who who finds trouble, and I just can't play her off the current form. No, I, I can't either. Um, I, I, you know, listen, uh, 
the Europeans are better than, than the Americans, you know, for sure. But the, the other Europeans are better than this European. So I, I think, you know, we, we've had some goofy results in the past, you know, uh, with some horses that have surprised you as not being, you know, the top flight uh, European horse. But but this horse would need to step up tremendously, and the others would have to not run a step. It's uh, For me, this one's a pass. Perhaps the biggest indictment on this one's chances is that Frankie Dottori ops ride the other John Gosden trainee, uh, Medai, I really hope I'm saying that right, is a pass for me. Uh, hasn't won in more than a year. Was a decent horse last summer. Won a group two. Was second in a group one at Goodwood going a mile and a quarter. Just seems like this one's tailed off a little bit since then. The five is Donja at 30 to one on the morning line. And I just, another, I couldn't really make as strong of a case for. This is a one who comes in from Germany. This is a group one winner from Germany, but she has no speed. She's going to have to pass a ton of these horses. And I have a tough time really getting a gauge as to how those races stack up compared to some of the other, you know, races with the, some really, really strong Europeans. So I, I can't be, uh, be playing Donja in here. No, I, I can't either. No, no speed, you know, g- goes to the back, um, you know, effort two back on the yielding course was, was good, but look, I mean, I, if I remember correctly, I think, I think Sh- didn't Scirocco come here to win the turf in 05 from Germany. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I don't think this horse is Scirocco, though. Uh, I haven't seen one come from Germany since then that could, you know, level up to him. So, uh, again, similar thing. There's other Europeans that have more appeal. Yeah, uh, any European getting first-time Lasix gets my respect. Won a Group 1, 2 back over in Germany. A 117 time form rating. That's just a cut below some of the others in here. It would not surprise me if she found a way to run third or fourth simply because the American turf runners just are not up to snuff this year, but I can't see her winning. We move to the number six and that is Lord North. Uh, last out, he's, he's eight to one on the morning line. Last time out, it was a race over a, a soft course. He was three deep. He was six. He was mid pack. He was moving up and he got to within two, nothing backed up, ran last, probably a race. You can put a line right through, toss it, you go back to August the 19th And a, a pretty decent third Behind Magical that day Was too deep in a small field, three lengths off In between, was okay The the races prior to that Are back to back Two races that are As good as any performance in here Those are going a mile and a quarter Though, can he do that Going a mile and a half, Darren And coming off of a lackluster effort um, on, on a soft Soft ground that looked like it was very tiring. Uh, I'll put it to you this way. When the odds board opens up for the Breeders' Cup turf, I am going to be very interested in this horse's price. Because if that last race completely shies people away, and he's sitting up there at like 13 to 1 or something absurd like that, this horse to me is a legitimate win contender. Um, For all the reasons that you said. You know, big win uh, back in July at Haddock. You know, no big deal. But then he goes from that. Runs a monster race in the Prince of Wales. Go watch it. I mean, visually impressive. Explodes in the stretch. Now, in the Judmont, not only was he right there at Magical, uh, you know, at the wire, I think maybe about three-quarters of a length behind her, the winner of that race was considered by many to be the best turf horse in the world um, until he retired, I believe, after that race. So this horse is right there with the best on the planet. Uh, The best on the planet is not in this race. And if you draw a line through that, attribute it to the soft going, 
you know, look, do, do, do Bowie's, you know, they, they can they get a mile and a half? Yes, there have been Dubawis that can get a mile and a half. But typically a mile and a quarter is, you know, where they want to be. Now, you know, that being said, Frankie DeTore can find a way to get more out of horses uh, than we've seen with a lot of riders in the past. He's got to be able to do that here. He's got to get him to relax, wait for the exact right moment to make his move. Uh, 10, 11, 12 to 1, I'm betting him. But it comes down to price for me. But he's on my top line. I'm just a little concerned about the race last time out. I understand it was soft going. Having said that, the race that he ran in the Judgment International, where he ran into the monster you mentioned, was still a slight regression from the race he ran three back in the Prince of Wales. If there's a concern here, it's maybe this horse was better earlier in the year. However, that Detori guy shows up here, and if you listen to the Philly and Mare Turf preview, Never, ever, 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 ever. I think I got all the evers exactly right. I may have been off by one or two. You can't ignore Frankie DeTore in a Breeders' Cup race on the grass. That is how good he is. It's a John Gosden trainee getting Lasix for the first time. He's a B for me because I don't know if you peaked earlier in the season and the distance is a little bit of an unknown. However, if the Lord North that showed up in the Prince of Wales shows up in the paddock at Keeneland, Look out. What's going to happen early uh, in this race, DZ, with United and with Channel Maker in here? Are they going to get aggressive with United and try to go to the front? You think they'll try to sit maybe off of Channel Maker and Channel Maker gets aggressive? United is horse who, I mean, he was just defeated in the Breeders' Cup last year behind bricks and mortar. And since then, he's had a really strong year. He feels a little different to me than a lot of the other West Coast horses that we discuss, mainly because I've seen him do it last year, um, and he has sort of a nice tactical style where he could get a jump on a lot of the other horses. He's not an easy horse to pass. He just he's got to be up close, either on the lead or sitting really close to it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it seems pretty obvious to me that you know, Channel Maker, I think is is going to go to the front because that's what's worked in the last two races. Um, and I think if he wants to be quicker than United, he is. Um, and I think United can let him go and probably will have enough room to just lay second the length off him and, and hope that that trip, you know, works out similar to, to how it did last year in the Breeders' Cup turf where he almost pulled off, you know, the monster upset. Um, you know, again, I don't think United, despite, you know, his good year, despite, the fact that he hasn't run a bad race in forever. Uh, I don't, I just don't think he's as good as the European horses. Uh, and last year, you know, there wasn't really a European like there is this year. Anthony Van Dyke is a nice horse guy. And I bring up that name reluctantly because of what happened as we saw in the Melbourne cup. Um, but, you know, for me, United is going to have all he's got to do to get by channel maker, let alone hold off the Euro invasion. So uh, I don't expect as good a result as uh, as he put forth last year. The other thing with United that scares me is, yes, he's won a lot in California. He's never had to ship. And when you haven't shipped before and you don't know if the horse can do it, single-digit odds on a horse that's been winning a lot of grade two races in a grade one race with a world-class field seems like a little bit of an underlay. United's a very nice horse with a lot of tactical speed. Flavian Pratt is a world-class turf rider. 
It wouldn't shock me if he ran well. It would surprise me if he won. Red King is the number eight. Red King has won three in a row, but again, another one who has been doing his work in California. He's going to have to worry about shipping. Darren, do you have a reason to sell uh, me or anyone on Red King? Uh, do you want a short answer so we can move on? No, I don't. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Same. Yep. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I got nothing either. Uh, this was a horse that uh, ran really well in the San Juan Capistrano. That's a mile and three quarters at Santa Anita against glorified allowance horses. He stepped up and ran a really big race at Del Mar in the Del Mar Handicap, but he was getting six pounds from United that day. Umberto Rispoli with a great ride, which was one thing, but he's going to need to step up to a whole nother level entirely in order to compete with these. We, and that's what the Breeders' Cup is, right? That's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a bunch of really, really good horses to where some nice horses are just have no shot. And and so it's it's nothing against any of these horses that you don't think have a chance because these are all quality animals to have have been at this point. It's just as as we both mentioned and Andrew hit it. It really feels like a lot of these turf horses are uh, is from the U.S. this year are just a little overmatched. The last couple of years, I felt like we had some better opportunities, and we and the Philly and Mare turf. I think there's a, at least one really good and maybe a couple. What about Channel Maker, Darren? Uh, does he have an opportunity to steal this race? He does. Uh, I mean, you know, Manny Franco's got to get creative in order to do it because he's going to have to hold off some awfully nice European horses. Um, look. And and, I, and I'll give him this. It's not – he has gotten very good the last two starts. Um, and, by the way, this is a horse that I've always been a fan of because I actually bet him as a two-year-old in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. So I saw something in him back then that unfortunately cost me money. But that being said, the last two races are really good. They're good from an all-speed all, you know, all speed figures. The buyer speed figures, 108 identical. He ran a minus one and a one on the thoroughbred. He ran a seven and a quarter, seven and a quarter on the Ragazin. I mean, he's right there. He runs back to those races. He's right there on the wire. The thing that I can't get past here is that beating horses like Lacario and Sadler's Joy and Aquaphobia are just different than beating horses like Magical. Um, you know, maybe he's just so unbelievably sharp right now that he's just not going to let anybody buy him. It's possible. Uh, at five to one, though, you're going to have to do that with somebody else's money. Yeah, uh, looking at the last two, they look fantastic on paper, but let's dive in. The grade one sword dancer, if that was not a stakes race, would not have been run on the turf at Saratoga. It was a bog that day, and nobody went with Channel Maker. Nobody else showed any interest in really running that day. And when he got to six furlongs in 117 and one, it was lights out. The turf classic at Belmont, yeah, that one looks better from a pace standpoint, but you have to remember it's Belmont, and that turf course can play very, very, very fast. You get allowance horses going miles at Belmont and 132 and change on that turf course, so him going 49 and 2 to the half and 114 and 2 for six furlongs is pretty darn slow. I don't see him getting that kind of uh, trip in here, especially with United showing up. If one of United or Channel Maker gets that trip, they hit the board. But I think the presence of the other makes it very difficult for those horses to get the kinds of trips that they probably need. Channel Maker at five to one, no buys for me. I, I 
think I've played against this horse like every time he's run. <laughs> he's just one of those horses that I've played against every single time. And, and it's not even that he's a short price all the time. I just have never... Uh, and maybe one or two times that I played him, I was on the wrong side of him because I just he, when I when every time I see him in the past performances, I get that that like ah uh, ah uh, uh, I don't know what to do with this oh god I don't know what to do with this horse and we we get to Mogul to round out the field here. Um, he is a lightly raced three year old coming off of a a big Group One win, going a mile and a half. He's hard to knock. He hasn't done a ton wrong He's in really nice form right now uh, Let's see, he was 8th of 10 He was inside, he was about 7 lengths off along the rail The leader ran off that day it was about 8th of 10 off inside um, He got an opening up the rail And he exploded It was visually very, very impressive No knocks, proven at a mile and a half I I just like others a tad more I would maybe want like 6 to 7 8 to 1-ish on him wouldn't be a shock to me, though. No, I, I think the morning line is short, to be honest with you. I, I know the last race was really good. Uh, I just don't think he's beaten anything of this caliber yet. Um, and that's just my opinion. I, I you know, I mean, in, in the Investec Derby, the Epsom Derby, he was, you know, well beaten. Uh, Pile Driver, who's a nice horse, has certainly had his number. Uh, you know, he beat a couple of decent horses last time out at Longchamp. But I, I just think the other Europeans are, are a step ahead of him now. That's not to say he can't step up and win, but at four to one, I, I think that's short. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I, there's another thing that we need to look at in this Breeders' Cup, and, and you could kind of play this out with some of the other races. Aiden O'Brien is on an awful streak in the United States. Um, you look up any of his numbers, I don't know how far it goes back, but, but there's a big goose egg that's going back for quite some time right now. So uh, – Keep that in mind when betting these Breeders' Cup races and see how the Eden O'Brien horses, the two-year-olds and everything, how they're looking because he's kind, kind of gone through a rough patch in the U.S. Um, you know, Mogul would have to, you know, be twice the price of four to one uh, to entertain me in terms of, you know, putting him on top. Yeah, Mogul is a B for me. He's the last of 10 horses in this field. He's one of many talented European runners. I like the fact that he's getting better as he gets older. He had a good win three back going a mile and a half. He had a win last time out going a mile and a half in a group one race. That probably wasn't a group one race in all capital letters, but still you win a group one at Longchamp going a 119 time form rating. You can improve off of that with first time Lasix here in the States and maybe late in his three-year-old campaign. He's starting to figure things out. I can't bet him at four to one. He's not a top pick for me, but he will be on some wider and saver tickets simply because Europeans getting first time Lasix can often be very, very tough to beat in these races. DZ, you said you didn't have quite a strong of opinion in here. Who are some of the horses that you will be uh, using in your exotics? Sure. So, um, you know, Lord North uh, looking for a, you know, a good price on him. Um, you know, hopefully somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 10, 12 to one uh, is definitely a play for me. Uh, obviously going to be using magical uh, in, in a big way. Those are going to be the the two that I, that I really kind of focus on uh, and with the addition of the Philly uh, Tarnawa. I mean, for me, those are the three to beat. Uh, I think there's a chance that they run one, two, three here. Uh, I'll use, uh, I'll use an American like, like uh, channel maker defensively. I'm not going to have any U S horses in the top line. So uh, for me, yeah, magical Lord North Tarnawa, uh, kind of up and down, and then spread amongst them in terms of my multi-race exotics. 
Yeah, we're similar. And again, that should scare the hell out of you, Darren. Um, Magical and Tarnawa are my two A-horses, and they're probably going to be the favorite and second choice, respectively. Lord North and Mogul are my B-horses. God bless America, land that I love, except in the Breeders' Cup turf. My goodness, do the Americans look overmatched here. Fellas, I really appreciate it. We'll get back to uh, talking some wrestling next week and recapping uh, Money in the Bank 2011. Let us know where can we follow you along on this uh, really big week for horse racing with Friday, Saturday, Breeders' Cup coming up. Sure. Uh, at the Track 7 on Twitter, obviously I'll be you know into it all week. Uh, I've kind of been posting some random thoughts as I go through the races. I have a lot of my work done, but I still have some more replays, and, and I'll you know take a look at the workout reports and everything. So all the way through, I'll be posting my thoughts, and then as we get to the end of the week, uh, I'll post my kind of in-depth thoughts on each individual race and you know how I'm playing them and so on and so forth. So you're going to be getting all – after the uh, the election is over, because we're recording this on Tuesday, uh, you're going to be getting all Breeders' Cup all the time from me. You're adorable. You're assuming the election will be over when <laughs> the Breeders' Cup horses go postward. That's fantastic. Anyway, kidding aside, Twitter is at Andrew Champagne, andrewchampagne.com for a whole mess of written stuff. And the Champagne and JD YouTube show will be doing not one, but two shows this week. One for Friday, one for Saturday. And we've got some really good guests lined up. Ren Carruthers is going to be joining us to look at the races on Friday. She's one of the best two-year-old handicappers that I know. And she has taught me so much about how to take deep dives at pedigrees and do the extra research that's necessary there. And we'll have Nick Hines in to talk about the races on Saturday. So that's up on YouTube. Just search Champagne and JD to take a look at that. There's a lot to go through, a lot of opportunities to make some money, and you only have to be right once or twice in order to make some pretty significant coins. So here's hoping that we can at least find the winner's circle a couple of times. Best of luck, fellas. Uh, folks, do not go anywhere. We still have lots more to discuss here on That's What G Said. Stay tuned. Andrew and Darren helping out and kicking butt like always, coming uh, ready and prepared no matter what subject that we're talking about. In this 11th race, the Breeders' Cup Turf, I will go to the three as my top selection. I kind of have two, three, six, seven sort of on, on my top tier, and then question marks about the ten. Um, two, three, six, really. Uh, I'll, I'll throw United in on some tickets, though. But Tarnawa, the Philly, uh, she's just looking for her fourth win in a row, back-to-back Group 1 wins. This would be her third consecutive. Legit excuses for the poor performances, and I, I don't have any knocks for her at all. I'm going to make a win wager on her at you know, anything around 6-1 to one or so. The number 6 will be on uh, a lot of my tickets as well. That is... Lord North, um, he was three deep last time out, mid-pack, four off, he angled out to get within two, and, and then he just backed up. I think you can just completely toss it, it was on the soft, and, and prior to that, his form, he has form that would, would really fit those, those races in June were unbelievable, so impressive, so, so good. If he's able to get back to anything close to that, he, he could win this race, no doubt about it. Then the seven, United, will he be able to... Stock, Channel Maker, I don't know if he gets the lead ahead of him. I prefer United over Channel Maker of the two horses that I think will be forwardly placed in here. And then question marks about the 10, I will probably throw in on one or two tickets Mogul, but I want a little bit more 
uh, a little more of a price on on this one who's going to have to do a couple things for the first time like uh, deal with the you know a tough group of older here in a in a ship and and travel so three six two seven underneath them question marks about the ten we move along from the Breeders Cup turf to the Breeders Cup Classic but we have to mention. One of our friends before we do Cindy Carava, full service realtor She's been with That's What G Said from the very beginning So if you need anything In the world of real estate Just mark down the, the name right now Even if it's going to be a year down the line Or uh, you know six months from now Don't forget about Cindy Carava Because she's a full service realtor She can help you out in many different ways Selling, purchasing, leasing She is So nice, so kind so genuine. She's going to take all the stress away from you in what is a very, very stressful endeavor. Moving. It's it's something that nobody likes. And she can even help you out on the smaller scale, right? Maybe you're just looking to improve your home, upgrade your home, anything at all. She can help you find a vendor like a handyman, painter, landscaper, gardener that she knows personally and she's used in her own home. Maybe you need help getting pre-approved for a loan. She can connect you with the lenders that she works closely with and she can highly recommend. She covers all parts of the San Gabriel Valley, parts of North San Diego County, Del Mar, Solana Beach, Rancho Santa Fe. Even if you you just want to find out how much your home is worth, she can help you out with that too with a free market analysis of your home's value. Check her out on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. But the easiest way to get all of her information, CindyCarava.com. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. You can even find reviews about her on Yelp and Zillow Send her an email if you have any questions And you can get all that info At cindycarava.com Up next Breeders' Cup Classic Final Breeders' Cup race of the weekend Emily Gullickson joins us To talk about the main event It is main event time Breeders' Cup Saturday The Breeders' Cup Classic We're going to be heading over to Keeneland for race number 12 And joining me to discuss the field you hear her quite often here on that's what g said you see her on social media optics eq stuff for twin spires uh, covering all sorts of races emily gullickson emily how you doing i'm doing really well yeah really excited for breeders cup i think this is just an awesome two days of racing i mean it always is but like this year the way the races came up they're just you know horse player friendly um for people that like to bet so i'm i'm really looking forward to it Oh, I'm really pumped, and we've got a, a, an interesting, really interesting classic, like a lot of different ways we can go, and so I think the best thing we can do is we'll just kind of start inside to outside and go through every contender, and I mean, we have to mention that, oh yeah, Bob Baffert has a pretty strong hand in here, I mean, what, no surprise in that, but he, you know, he's going to be really, really live, and just the overall picture of that is something that makes me a little curious, because you would think Authentic and maximum security Both want to be forwardly placed That's their best way of going And when they're both Bafferts I I wouldn't necessarily picture them Battling each other but I mean this is the Breeders' Cup Classic these are two different Horses where that is their best chance To win something sort of Got to give Yeah I think Sometimes you have to, I, I know it's tough, especially when you have a Bob Baffert, who's just a big name, right? And that just can sometimes kind of cloud your vision, right? And if you just looked at it, like if you just eliminated the trainer's names and you handicapped it straight up, you'd almost X those horses out, right? Because they kind of cancel each other yeah. out. 
running style. And I don't think there's any reason why you shouldn't do that, right? Yep. Be, unless yep. you're expecting for some reason one of them to do something totally different and then just like not compete, which would be like, we should have an investigation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we seriously. But, you know, I mean, those are things that like you just, when you're handicapping, like you have to just do this. This, this kind of ran into play. I got asked about this um, a couple weeks ago for the for the breeder stakes up at, at Woodbine because, um, you know, we had that the Canadian Triple Crown on the line and Josie Carroll had had the favorite, uh, Mighty Heart. And, and I liked um, Belichick, who I liked going into um, – God, I am my own spacing. Queen's Plate. Second, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and it was like, well, if they, they have this, why would they enter the horse? It's like, I I don't care. Like, I can't be bothered by why, who's doing what. It's just like, I'm handicapping the horses, the way the race comes out. And so I, I think people should take that approach and not just try to overthink the things that are out of your control. Yep, I completely agree on that. And uh, let's go inside outside with Tacitus. Uh, uh, poor Tacitus. It, he he looked like he, he had turned the corner in that suburban win. It was like, oh, he finally is going to beat up on some horses that he's better than. He's going to put it all together. The blinkers are on now. And I mean, you could not draw up two better races for him to get grade one wins in small fields where he was heavily favored in the Woodward. He was stalking. Okay, maybe we want to make the excuse that he, he just couldn't get by a global campaign who was loose on the lead. That's fine. Well, then the next time he gets loose on the lead, he's the best horse in the race. He's clear and he just stops. So I don't. I now Matt Mott has said we don't want him on the lead. That's fine. He didn't. He was a hanger before, and and then he stopped last time out. I just uh, I can't really get there with Tacitus anymore. Yeah, I mean, I can get there from from the person. I, I think that for all the points that you mentioned, he's just not a horse that, that is reliable, right? Yep, and, yep. you know, the morning line is 20 to 1. I think it'll probably be half of that and could be even shorter. He's just a horse that people like. Um, you know, sometimes it's like you can't really make excuses for those trips, but sometimes they're not ideal trips for horses. And those compact fields, those short fields, um, sometimes horses just don't run well in them. Um I think there's a case of that to be made in, in the distaff as well um, with point of honor. Um, but anyway, stay, trying to stay on point here. Um, yeah, for Tacitus, I mean, he could just find kind of the right trip yeah. to, in this race, right? Where he's able to save ground. He is a plotter. You have he's not going to be on the lead here, right? So no, we're not going to worry not, about that. At the, at the most, he's going to be fourth early. Right. So he's just, you know, he's able to save ground. He lets those horses, you know, just run in front of him. The race is slowing late and he just grinds along and gets the win. And that's a scenario that makes him playable. Is he, you know, at first I was kind of like, oh my God, I'm going to land on him. And then, you know, I, I sort of went elsewhere, but he's still a horse that's usable just because I could see that scenario playing out. I did similar because I was looking, and, and when you, you stack him up with numbers and figures and you just kind of look at his trip, he feels like he's going to trip out. So I'm I'm completely fine with him in two, three, four spots. And I'll probably even flop him in on a pick four or pick five in one, in one, but um, in, in the middle of the tickets, especially if he is, you know, Anything around 10 or over is yeah is fair That's probably where he should be with this group um, we, Let's get to Tiz the Law Who was so good for I mean really forever His his poor performance in the Kentucky Derby He just couldn't get by Authentic I was, I was impressed with Authentic that day And maybe the thing with Tiz the Law Is the spacing between races You know you look at every race He had ever run Before the Kentucky Derby There was about a six week gap he came back in the Kentucky Derby 
It was a month, not even a month And he didn't really have that same late punch Was it because he ran into a good horse? There were a couple different factors Now he's going to have to face older But he does have a little time He's fresh um, I I mean, he's, he's a nice horse He's tough to knock what he's done this year But he will This There are some legitimate older horses here He's going to have to deal with And he's also going to have to deal with the horse who beat him last time out Right, yeah, that that was the the timing for me. Just coming off, you know, coming off a top effort on less than thirty days rest is what made him vulnerable in the Kentucky Derby. Um, and I've been pretty well documented in, in stating that, and I stand by it. Just watching him on the track, and then you know, just sort of the overall visuals. But but he's kind of peaked, right? And and that's kind of the concern, I think, timing and spacing wise. I wanted to even before you know the entries came out, wanted to like him just because it was like we know that race, why he ran well. But just sort of looking at this field, it's hard to see a trip for him. He doesn't like to be inside um, inside of horses. That's where he's going to be again. He's another horse. He's not quick enough to run with those outside three. So he's going to kind of have to use. He's going to get stuck behind horses. Where I can see Tacitus working a trip, I have a much harder time seeing a trip for Tis the Law, even though I could probably say he's a horse that maybe is better and certainly likes to win more, but uh, just, you know, it's hard to get there just in terms of trip and, and three to one is just yeah. not enough, not enough meat on the bone. Yeah, I agree. Trip and price. I, I it's funny that you said that. Like I, when the pre entries and stuff are coming out and, w- and just envisioning in how this race was going to unfold in my head, I'm thinking, oh, okay, yeah, Tizala is probably going to get a good trip and he feels like he's going to be fresher. And then when you look at it on paper, he's either going to be, Having to do too much early And getting caught up with those other horses And that's going to be a little bit out of his game Or he's going to be like Five or six lengths behind Which right. we haven't really seen him do either And that's going to be out of his game And can he win with either one of those trips? Sure, but do I want to take him At five to two winning with one of those trips? No, thank you Yeah, yeah, kind of, kind of a toss Unfortunately in here Yeah um, by my standards is I mean he's had a really good year too um, He's just a, a, Sort of similar to what I was thinking with With Tis Law Where is he going to be in this race Because yeah. he's yeah. able To get great trips when they're Going slow and just sit nicely In the clear and then he wins those races Is he He's not second or third here though right He's got to be more like fifth or sixth Right. Yeah. He's kind of, he's kind of in a, in a tough spot in, in terms of trip. I think, you know, Saez is going to be, he's going to be aggressive. He's going to try to put him in the race, but I, and you know, so probably at the first call, he's going to look like he's in a good spot, but if they are going fast, that's going to be where it gets to him. Right. Just mm-hmm. being unable to keep up with those horses at that pace. So again, another horse that's probably just going to get, you know, kind of, kind of swallowed by um, the pace of the race, not able to get his trip and I, you know, distance-wise, I know he's been running shorter. I think it's possible for him to get the ten, but um, it, it would have to be under just the right scenario. And I'm not sure this is it. But again, another horse like I really wanted to land on and make a case Me too. for. To just look at the data and go, can't do it. <laughs> yeah, it it just with needs. He just doesn't feel like he's going to get that cozy trip that he and he works that trip out for himself because he's a, he's a good gate horse too. He breaks really well, and then he just can kind of settle in nicely, but. They're going to be going a couple lengths quicker than he's been used to going uh, early on. I mean, he was a couple lengths behind Improbable when they ran, and Improbable has a similar running style as he does. Just to you know, just to give you an idea. So he, if he's a couple lengths behind, if he's behind Improbable again, is he going to be able to go? Pa- I, I I don't know. I just maybe, yeah. like you said, maybe Saez can get a little more aggressive and and have him in a good spot. But I still think that'll take a little too much out of him uh, out of him early. 
And I, I mean, I'm going to be using Tom Z Todd on on probably all of my tickets, and and maybe one or two others in here, it's because if he is over four to one, like he's five to one or so, he has the one bad race where he has a legitimate excuse. Prior to that. He was the best order horse in training for most of this year, you know, for that that three or four race um, uh, streak that he put together. Improbable, super good, and I, I have no knocks on Improbable and what he's blossomed into. But if you just took the Whitney out, he was favored over Improbable. He had a legitimate excuse that day. I don't think he should be anything over four to one or so. If he is, I'm going to jump in on Tom. Yeah, no, it's funny because the other horses, it was like I went in trying to make a case for them and I went into Tom Zatat trying to beat him. I've and never liked out. him really either. Like, I've never played him. <laughs> I feel similar. Yeah. Like, I, just, and I, I go with this race and I, I'm i like, oh, he's my top pick. Like, it's just like, I, he, it just looks like the race is going to set up for him. He's in good form. And, and Al Stahl's used this pattern before. It's kind of sneaky. But if you go back to last year, when he ran at Saratoga, he ran two races at Saratoga, the Outer and the Woodward, and then he was rested and he came back in the Fayette um, in late October, and it's pretty much the same pattern where he has those two races, you know, the June 27th race, the August 1st race, and then he comes back kind of in this, like, late season Keeneland race. So it's like, from a trainer standpoint, it's like he knows how to get him ready for this type of race. Um, there's just, you know, there's just a lot to like and going through the field where it's like, I have knocks on these other horses. He's going to get a good trip. He's in form, you know, distance wise, he hasn't been tested at it, which gives me a little bit of reservation, but I think there's going to be value there to kind of compensate for that one mild, you know, just sort of unknown. We move to the number five title ready. And this is Dallas Stewart loves doing this kind of thing. He loves having a big price and a big race and shocking the world with with a huge upset. Can title ready be another one of those horses for Dallas Stewart? Uh, I, I don't think so. I mean, he's just, yeah. he's pretty below. I mean, it's hard to find any race that kind of stacks up with this field. Um, you know, he struggled when he was with Asmussen in the grade three level. Asmussen's a good trainer. Dallas Stewart, they're, you know, they're both good trainers, but I feel like title ready. It's like, he's, he is who he is at this point. He's just not quite on the level. Um, I think best case scenario for him to be running underneath, which is another thing that Dallas Stewart likes to do, but I have a hard time, you know, putting him any further than that. We move along from title, yeah, and I, I'm I'm in agreement with you too. I think he just feels a, a little bit overmatched in here. Higher power, the next one, he's got the big win on the page, you know, the Pacific Classic that you look at, but he's been defeated by maximum security and improbable in the last few. When you look at some of the horses that he's been keeping company with prior to that, they're okay, you know, Vino Rosso last year, you know, and and Higher Power was only third in the Breeders' Cup Classic last year. He has no problem going a mile and a quarter. Uh, just another one where I don't think he wants to be seven or eight lengths off of it. He's not. I mean, he's got a he's got a little more tactical speed than than you think he does. Where do you see him in here? Does he have a shot? Yeah, I mean, I, I it's it's kind of too bad because the last couple times he just wasn't he wasn't ridden well in the um, San Diego or in the Pacific Classic. Just either like handling rise just wasn't right for the race shape. Um, looked like he would kind of get something out of the San Diego and then Pacific Classic just kind of moved off the inside early. Wanted to like avoid kickback. Just didn't have the right pace. But then, yeah, you kind of drop, like, what kind of trip does he want in here? Well, he wants to be forwardly placed. Well, he had that opportunity in the races that he should have done that, and he didn't. 
maybe he couldn't. And um, I, I don't know if he can get that here, but you're, you're right. I mean, he has races that, that can win. He's just so inconsistent with bringing those races and it has to be, you know, it has to kind of be the perfect trip. He got the perfect trip in the Pacific classic last year, really weak field. Um, you know, in the gold cup, he ran fine. That race probably has him competitive here. You know, just if you're against the favorites, I, you can make a case that you're going to spread just because, you know, maybe there's chaos. And that's about, like, kind of where where I get with him. It's hard for me to make a real case for him, but being against the others, I could kind of see him sneaking in. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. It's, uh, he There's something, like, I'm not ready to to completely dismiss him. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for him, like, to, to come up with another big effort at some point, and and if he's tw- and I want to be on board if he is twenty to one when he when he I, has that effort, you know. Yeah, no, I I think he'll legitimately be twenty to one in here. It's like I don't Tacitus, I don't think so. Even Global Campaign, I could see him taking money in here, um, and then higher power. It's because it's hard to make a case for him, right? Um, to have that to have that type of race, and just maybe this is you know just sort of the right spot. That he jumps up in, um, you know. So again, yeah, like use him for spread, um, but he should be every bit of that morning line. You just mentioned global campaign. He's right next door. That is the number seven, and he's a horse who he teased us with a lot of talent early on in his career. And then after the Jim Dandy in 2019, he finished third. He, he was kind of like a forgotten about horse. You know, you just kind of they're good early on, and then he's out of sight, out of mind. He comes back in 2020. And he wins in his first start off the bench And then he has a brutal trip at Churchill Downs You can just put a line right through it He had a bad start and he was in trouble He just never had a shot that day So you make that excuse He's 3 for 3 in his other 3 starts so far um, This year I just, from the the shape of the race He doesn't feel as quick as authentic He doesn't feel as quick as maximum security Can he carve in a spot right behind them? Maybe, maybe he can do that Um, He's shown that he can sit just behind I... There's still it feels like there's still at least some upside with him because he's kind of lightly raced and it, it feels like he's starting to figure it out. Yeah, that that would be the case with him, right? Is he's going to have to show a different dimension than his wins. I mean, he was able to kind of get the bias a little bit at Monmouth and then um the easy loop last out um at Saratoga. So, yeah, in terms of trip, um, you know, he's going to have to compete with those other horses. But I agree. I mean, he kind of presented as maybe he would be a one-turn type horse, but maybe the maturity and just kind of getting some experience. Um, maybe, you know, having those those races in his favor last time out, you know, that kind of puts him over the top. So the case with him is it's just like, you know, you have a lightly raced kind of improving type horse. But um, I, I, it's hard to just see what kind of trip he's going to get in here um, with those horses that are drawn outside. He's going to have to just kind of go and uh, get kind of caught up with them. So it's 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 tough to see um, that path. But but I you know I, I wouldn't fault anybody that wants to get creative um, with global campaign. What I really like um, about Improbable as we move on to him and just as a horse in general, not necessarily as I'm I'm going to go bet him at you know if he's. Nine to five in this race but what he's Done this year is it it, We you know some of the questions That we've just raised about horses like You know by my standards or Higher power or um, You know where Tis the law even like where are they going to be You know they're, they're going to have to overcome Something that we haven't seen them overcome Yet so how short of a price do we Want to accept on that what's nice about Improbable is you know he was the Horse who Okay, how far does he really want to go? Okay, can he win when he's not getting a most perfect trip where he's sitting just second stalking? In his last start, 
the race set up perfect for him and that there was a lot of speed in front of him, but I liked seeing that he could be five, six lengths off of it and close and make up ground and do it very easily. It didn't seem like there was any issue with him. He just is a nice animal right now. He has matured and grown into a damn good horse. And this is one of the things that I think that bothers a lot of horse racing fans in that, you know, a lot of times horses like this get retired at the end of their three year old season. And they don't come back at four And we don't see them do what Improbable Has done so far this year He's been really really good I, I don't have very many knocks on him Yeah no I think I think he's As legit a favorite for, for all those Reasons right I mean he's been class He's been speed he's been able to show those Dimensions um, he should get A great trip in here I mean he Part of it was, you know, coming from off the pace, he was able to just kind of have a free trip. But he might get that here, right? If you have all those horses that kind of are congested chasing the pace, he might just get a free trip and be able to kind of make that move like he did in the awesome again. Um, yeah, I mean, I think coming into this race, he's really hard to have a fault in. And so he is, you know, he's a legitimate favorite. And he's just a horse that, you know, you have to use. Not necessarily one I'm excited to, like, make a win bet on, but I'm certainly not leaving him off, like, any t- Tickets to close out the day Completely agree And uh, yeah, I guess it's kind of funny Where you've got uh, the Bafferts All lined up right next to each other right? Uh, eight, 8, 9, and 10 um, The 3 drawn to the outside So you've got Authentic And then you've got the 2 Who who look like they're going to be quicker And I will say These horses are kind of int- like funny to me Because I've gained a lot of respect For both of them They're horses that I generally was playing against early on in their careers And they sort of made me believers I think you and I spoke about Authentic the day that he lost the San Anita Derby We were all, we were high on Honor IP We didn't really think that he was going to be A mile and a quarter or a, even a mile And an eighth horse at that time He looked like on paper he wasn't going to get the lead He didn't and he didn't win He's He's definitely started Training better and after that Haskell and between the Haskell and the Derby He I mean, I was really impressed what he with what he did in the Derby, and then I was really impressed with him to come back in the Preakness and battle with Swiss Skydiver all the way through. I respect the hell out of him. I just don't like the way this race shapes up with maximum security right next door. He's going to be facing older for the first time. Um, I don't like same type of thing. I don't know if he's going to be able to pass a horse or if if he's a length behind them. And maybe maximum security sits just off him and lets him go. But where do you see? Them shaping up Um yeah I mean they're They're literally they're side by side And they need that same that same Type of trip so I think both of them Just have to go out and run their race And again just like almost you know I know It's weird to say but like Pretend they're not stable mates right Um yeah especially In a big race like this like this is What you go for all year if they can't Each be handled with Their best opportunity to win then what are we Doing here you know yeah, exactly. And it's like Baffert has the other horse that can scoop them both up, you know, if, if yeah, it's yeah. necessary. So, you know, I, I think both of them are going to try to establish position right off the bat. I don't think they necessarily want to get into a hole, but I don't, I, I have a hard time seeing a scenario that they're going to let one of the other ones go. And they almost certainly can't because of global campaign being in the race. So global campaign being inside of them, he's going to go. So it's like both those horses kind of just have to fall into their, into their own race. 
are they going to get a trip from there is, is sort of the question. Are they going to kind of prevail as best of the speed type type horses? They're good in their own right. But but again, I mean, I think that they've, they've been able to show grit, but also had the right, right paces in order to do it. Um, and I'm just I'm not sold on, on either of them in here. Um, they're less likely to be uses for me. But again, I mean, they're also two horses that could beat me at the same time. And I'm willing to kind of accept, um, accept that going in. Yeah, I totally agree. And and like maximum security too. He's he's honest and I mean, just to mention, I I really I do feel sort of feel bad for this horse in that he's had to deal with a lot. I mean, this is a horse who was a 16 claimer. He he was in the service barn. We, you know, all the stuff that we've found out afterwards who knows what kind of drugs and stuff this horse had pumping through his body. He went over to Saudi. I mean, he had the Kentucky Derby Win in DQ He traveled over to Saudi Won that race Then he's moved into the Baffert barn He's had And and then could you imagine Emily Like talk about two completely different As far as how they train their horses From going from service to Baffert Just a different Like in the mornings Service would just have his horses crawl And do absolutely nothing Like really like long kind of stamina building um, Works Where you got the really quick type works from Baffert This is a horse who is just Overall, I really respect him at a, as an animal because he has had a hell of a lot thrown at him. Yeah, no, I, 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 I mean, you've kind of made me a fan just by that explanation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, he is. You're right. For all those reasons, there's nothing more I can add. Yeah, and I just, he's he's kind of quirky. He's been that way in the mornings. Apparently, he's working better now. And and the outside draw is much better for him than the inside draw. Um, he can he he can. Press a little bit and he's shown that He can and he will fight you a little bit I just don't I don't Really like him coming into this spot I would so much prefer improbable Of the Baffert especially with this The way this race shapes up so I think we might be in a little bit of trouble Emily Because the way that I've got this race stacked um, In order I had it 4 8 1 I'm right with you. Yeah, I think we see it very similarly, and and if and if Tom's D Tot is like over four to one, I think that's a, a nice fair price on a horse who has been one of the top, if not the top, older horse for a lot of this year. It really no knocks on improbable whatsoever, and I I do like Tacitus to, hey, in a race where he's, wouldn't it be a very Tacitus and a very 2020 thing for him to win the Breeders' Cup? Classic after losing those two races Where he was like odds on in small fields And didn't win Yeah I think that's that narrative is already being written Like right now <laughs> It really is so um, a, a really Good Breeders Cup classic And I and you said it and honestly I'm not going to BS you And you're not going to BS the people out there Like we'll say when we've we've handicapped enough Southern California races and, and dates to like, oh, this is not a good card. This is not a good race. We're not going to tell you. These are two really good days. Like I like almost all of these Breeders' Cup races. There's usually a few where I kind of go, eh, I don't like that race and roll my eyes. I, I was very, very intrigued in almost all of them. Some vulnerable favorites, some really nice stars. It's just it's the perfect combination of what you want with the championship races. Oh, absolutely. I feel the same way. I've, you know, I was not as, not as thrilled about Breeders' Cup last year, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, this year is, is totally different. I like every race, even, you know, even the undercard races, I think are good on both days. So I'm, I'm ready to just kind of get into it. Only have to wait a couple more days. Let the folks out there uh, again know where can we follow you on social media and where can we see some of your work this week? 
Yeah, so um, on social media, my um, personal Twitter at Emily Optics EQ, and then of course, um, Optics EQ Twitter handle itself and OpticsEQ.com. We have a Breeders' Cup special, which gives you access to Optics, all the tracks that we run um, during those, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, as well as um, the analysis we've had, you know, our team go through and um, do and analyze all the um, Breeders' Cup races for the day. I also have full card selections over at Brisnet. Um, there's spotlight selections if you go under picks and you'll see my name um, for both days. Um, and I, I, you know, I worked on that product. A lot of work went into it. Um, and it's really good and um, I'm pretty proud of it. So yeah, it's, it's good racing and, um, you know, pick up the optic. All, all of it's good. It's really good information um, for playing the races this weekend. And I got to give you a, a little pat on the back too, in, in that every time you're on, I, I you are on the very short list of people that I get asked about. When's she coming back? When when are you going to have Emily come back and talk a, a big races with you? Is she going to come back on and talk this weekend? So I have. All- Thank you to Emily Gullickson from Optics EQ for joining us to talk Breeders' Cup Classic. And yeah, we feel we feel pretty similar. It's going to be four eight in all the exotics for me. Um, Tom's Detot and Improbable. And I think Tom's Detot is going to get bet a little bit. I think he'll probably be four to one or so. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of buzz about him out on on social media. But you got to remember, in this race, the Baffert horses are all going to take money. So it's not like Tom's Detot is going to be the the horse who just takes a bunch of money and nobody else does. Maximum security is going to take money. He always does. Authentic is your derby winner. He's going to take some money. And Improbable is the most likely winner of the race. He's the most deserving favorite in the race. He's going to take money. So if Tom's D. Todd is 7-2, to two, it wouldn't shock me. If he's 4-1, to one, anything over 7-2, to two, I'll bet him to win. And he's still a must-use in all of your exotics. But don't be surprised if he's a little shorter than his morning line. I just... I don't know how much. Tis the law. Don't forget about him. He's gonna take, you know, money also. Maybe he's maybe he floats up. Maybe it's an instance where we have a bunch of four to one shots. Like improbable as at two to one and then, you know, a couple four or five to one shots. But Tom is on all my tickets, improbable is on all my tickets. Tacitus is gonna be on some of my tickets as I was talking about with Emily. I just I've never trusted him. He's not a horse who I'd bet to win at short prices, but in this situation where he's not the horse to beat, where he can might just be able to save ground inside and and get a good trip, I wouldn't mind having him to close out a pick four or pick five. So four, eight, one on some tickets, and then you know what are you going to do with the Bafferts? I'm I'd be more inclined to use Tis the Law. I, you know, I guess it just comes down to price. Like, tis the law, maximum security, authentic. They're all going to be shorter than I want. And, you know, they, they could beat me, but they obviously all have an opportunity to win. It's just you, you can't use them all in each and every race, all the logicals. And I much prefer Improbable and Tom's Detot. That's the Breeders' Cup Classic. So we are done with the Breeders' Cup, so let's let's give a, a little recap of uh, of what we're looking at on Saturday. So, you can play a pick five in race number one on Saturday, which uh, I talked a little bit about on the part one show. And Nashville is the horse in race one that will probably be a very popular single. So I'll, I'll play a pick five where I'll do that. I'll single and then I'll spread out a little bit. So pick five one with three four seven ten with four five six with one three seven nine with one three seven ten twelve. That's in the first race on Saturday. 
You can play a pick four that starts in the Breeders' Cup races in race number four. You can play pick fives that begin in race number eight. So I'm not going to give you as many exact tickets because there's so much going on. You heard how every race I like horses, how I stack them up. But those are things I'll probably be looking at playing in the fourth race of pick four. That'll take you through races four, five, six, and seven of the Breeders' Cup. But a lot of my focus will be on that late pick five that starts in race number eight and takes you from uh, races eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 and begins with the sprint. Some of the horses I'd be looking at in the sprint I'll be singling Diamond Oops on one ticket. We'll be using Yao Pawn along with Diamond Oops. Probably throw Frenzy Fire on a ticket. Possibly Frank's Rocket. Um, but no doubt I'll have one ticket where I'm I'm singling Diamond Oops right away. And 10-11 are my strong opinion in that one. In race number 9, it'll be a lot of 2-4s and 6s in there. That's the, the race where I, I like Cameco quite a bit. In race number 10... Five tens. Those are the, you know very logical race with Swiss Skydiver with Monomoy Girl. I'm going to throw the one CC in. I'll probably play another ticket where I go even a little deeper. One five seven eight nine ten something like that in race number eleven, which is the turf. Two three six seven will be on most tickets with Tornawa as the top selection to close things out. Lots of fours and eights. Um, Tom's the Tot, improbable. I'll throw Tacitus on a few. I'll try to have one ticket set up where I've got all in the final race. If if my opinions and the others are are uh, are correct, I can I can get, you know if I can get a, a diamond oops and, and maybe a a, a Cameco and a Swiss Skydiver home and set yourself up to have all in uh, in the last race in the Breeders' Cup Classic. So one more time, fourth race, Philly and Mare Sprint. I'm going to be using Come Dancing and Speech in all of my exotics. In the fifth race, the Turf Sprint, I'll be using Bombard in all exotics and probably playing a few bucks to win along with some others, but Bombard is the, the, the real key horse for me in that race. The sixth race, the Dirt Mile, it's very wide open, but Pirate's Punch is one I, I want to make sure to, to mention for you to throw into some of your exotics. The seventh race for me, Philly and Mare Turf, it's the number seven, Terrabellum. In the eighth race, the sprint, Diamond Oops, number 11, I will single in a couple different spots. Very, very logical. In the ninth race, the mile, the number two, Cameco. In the tenth race, the distaff, it's Swiss Skydiver and Monomoy Gal. I'll kind of put CC in a lot of exotics with them, but it's Swiss Skydiver, it's Monomoy Gal. In the eleventh, the number three, Tarnawa, that's the turf, and in the 12th race, the classic, for me, it's Tom's D. Tot, and it's improbable that I'll be using in all the exotics there. Breeders' Cup Saturday! We have finished with the Breeders' Cup analysis here on That's What G Said, but we are not finished with all of the analysis because it is NFL Week 9 already. Can you believe that? We're coming up on Week 9 of the NFL and we're going to go game by game, starting with the Thursday night game with e, with Eric, ETOF21 Sports. Before we do, I want to talk a little bit about Thrive Fantasy because we're talking about the NFL. I'm sure a lot of you who are listening are fans of wagering, fantasy sports, daily fantasy. That's what the Thrive Fantasy app is. It is a daily fantasy app that is built around prop bets. And when you use the promo code GINO, you can get an instant bonus credit of up to $50 based on your deposit. So if you deposit at least $20, you'll get $20. If you deposit $30, you'll get $30. So anything between $20 and $50, up to $50, 
So why not deposit 50 get a $50 bonus right back? You'll have $100 in there to mess around with. So what this is, is you're playing in contests, you know, against other people. They have large contests weekly. You can play in contests for as little as a dollar entry fee or anything up to a thousand dollar entry fee where you're playing against others in head to head competitions. They have free rolls a lot of the time. Football, basketball, baseball, golf, esports, all options for you at Thrive Fantasy. NFL, they've got Thursday standalone contests. They've got Sunday contests that are the big ones. And then they've got Monday night contests when the Monday night games are playing. So an example, this weekend, their big contest is the Week 9 NFL $25 entry fee, 12500 in prizes, and the first place prize is 2700 bucks, 2750 bucks. They pay out to the top 130 finishers. And there's only a uh, it's a maxed entry of 550. You're not playing against thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions. You have a legitimate chance to win these contests when you have researched and and you know selected a really good lineup. You're going to be picking 10 out of 20 options for props, and you're going to be picking over and under, right? Uh, Deshaun Watson, 280 yards passing over or under. That's what you're going to be picking. If you get over, it'll have 100 points assigned. If you have un- if you go under, it'll have a, you know 80 or 90 assigned, and that's how you build your lineup, picking 10 of their 20 available props. You put them all together, and then whatever max points that you have, that's how it's scored. Go right now, download that app, Thrive Fantasy. Use the promo code Gino. Put 50 bucks in right now. Give it a try. You'll get an instant $50 bonus credit, and you can test it out. I play in these contests each and every weekend. I always like to to try a a new site out before I'm going to share it with all of you. So I've played in these things for a couple months. I've won some contests. I've I've withdrew money. I always like to make sure when you're depositing money and withdrawing money that everything's on the up and up. They are awesome over at Thrive Fantasy. Don't forget about that promo code G-I-N-O. It'll get you an instant bonus credit of up to 50 bucks with a $50 deposit. Week 9 NFL with Eric. Here we go, game by game. Really appreciate our good buddy Eric joining us to, to talk about NFL Week 9 slate coming up. Because, uh, Eric, we're recording this one on Wednesday a little bit earlier than normal. So it's it's a little tougher because we just have a little less information out from the week as far as injuries, things like that, um, as most weeks. But I appreciate you being flexible. We got the, the Breeders' Cup shows coming out this week, so I wanted to get this one uh, out a little bit earlier. How's everything been going, buddy? I mean, pretty good. Kind of fighting back the tears because I just got the alert that Stafford is on the COVID list. Oh, so no. It's going to be a little long, another long year in Detroit, but, oh, you know, no. battle, battling through it. Oh, no. So let's get let's get into the week, and we can actually mention the uh, the Thursday night game. Normally when we record Thursday, it's too late, but this one will come out uh, on Thursday, so we can talk a little bit about that game. It is Green Bay, and I think it's like, what, Green Bay at San Francisco over under in this game is 50. Is it still around five and a half there? Green Bay on the road. Oh yeah. It's been tinkering back from five and five and a half. I mean, to me, I, the way I look at this game is Green Bay is averaging get 32.8 points a game. San Francisco is averaging giving up 19.4 San Francisco's defense going to be able to contain Green Bay, which I think they will. Everyone's making a big deal out of Garoppolo and Kittle being gone. As the Vikings showed last week, Green Bay can't stop the run. I'm going to be invested on the best number I can get from San Francisco because 
regardless of who's playing quarterback, San Francisco is going to run the ball. That's their offense. It's a run. It's a run first team. And Hastie has showed that he's an explosive back. I love San Francisco, and I love the inflated spot. I'm going to inflate a number. I'm going to get with him. Yeah, I don't. I don't like the Green Bay side here at all. And I might. I might be willing to dip in. I'm seeing. Or even some sixes now up on the board uh, And if this floats up Even to a six and a half like before I would absolutely jump in and six is fine With me probably on the on the San Francisco Side I agree and San Francisco Too is funny like they're a really Well coached team they've they've looked bad A couple times this year because it in Those games everything went wrong for Them I I, I sort of trust Them to play well in a spot like this um, I'm with you definitely more on the San Francisco Side total in this game is 49 and a half 50 right around Plus it's a revenge spot from last year's playoffs Yeah yeah that's you true know, So I, I I love I love that Scenario anytime I can get it and plus Green Bay Like I have a list of teams I feel that are Overvalued and Green, Green Bay is on the List because their really defense is just bad team. You can't be a Really top 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 Tier team and just have it as horrendous Of a defense as they have they just They you can have a defense that Allows points but you have to be able to make Plays and make big stops And they they don't do that a, a whole Heck of a lot so this is Yeah this is going to be a, a, a an Interesting spot because they kind of had their um, Green Bay They got their you know they got their Butts kicked uh, a, a couple times Recently this is sort of like what's happened When they they get punched in the mouth and they don't really punch it back. I feel like they beat up on teams when everything goes their their way and they're sort of kind of like a front running team. So we'll see if uh, if they get punched a little bit by San Fran if they can punch back this week. Your poor Lions now. Uh, you just mentioned that uh, Stafford is on the COVID list, so I'd imagine this game that opened up at plus uh, at Atlanta minus two and it was up to minus four. I think right now it's still around. Three and a half or, 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 or no no excuse me It's still around four but This it, is probably going to go even, up even more Now with no uh, with no Stafford Oh I know I know And I mean I'm not going to lie I, me and The people that are part of my betting service we already Locked in the Lions because I love the Lions I did spot. too I did too yeah. I was going to make up they were going to be One of my plays especially with the way That it was moving away from them I like you Said I just thought it, things went well for Minnesota last week and I'm not that high on Green Bay so it kind of was a these The two games were sort of related and something also to remember is the Lions traded for Everson Griffin, and he had all those years in the Zimmerman defense, so he's going to know everything that's going on. That's like a whole layer that everyone seemed to have forgotten. Stafford against that young secondary. I mean, you know, the number is just going to get inflated. But I will say this. The Lions do actually have a capable backup. So I believe Chase Daniels is their backup. Who's, who he's showing he's capable. He's a capable backup. He's if his number sure. gets inflated, like if we can get a touchdown or more, which, I mean, you probably could, I'm going to invest in it because the Lions have the – last week it was the first-rated PFF line against the run. I'm sure after their performance of the Colts, it went down. I haven't looked at the rankings for this week. But they can still run the football. Their line is good running. And the secondary for the Vikings – isn't that good. They're still young and inexperienced. Vikings have no pass rush. The value is going to be on Detroit in this game. Hands down. And in both of the first two games that we talked about, especially if they're missing the, the QBs, because people really jump when a, a QB is missing. And hey, a lot of times, right, uh, it's they're jumping on the right side, but they're jumping on a side where they've given away so many points that the value is just not there whatsoever. Yep. 
And that's yep. the way we have to play. We have to be playing when you're playing week in and week out over and over, and you're playing more than just recreationally for fun. You have to be weary of the numbers. You just cannot take bad numbers because you like a team that way. It it you just can't have that approach. If you get it in your head and you start doing that, you're going to be in some trouble there. Um, number and situation. Those are my top two rules. Yeah. Number and situation. And I mean, we all have rules as gamblers, and I'm kicking myself in the ass because one of my rules. Is never lay points on the road, and like an idiot, I took the Rams last week, and, and I we, lost. That's what's crazy. Like that and that's and what I broke my rule. We're not. We're exactly. We do that, and then you you remind yourself again. Okay, hey, there's a reason why I didn't. I don't like to do that. That's one of my things. I'm just not going to do that. And uh, we we move to this Falcons Broncos game. Where it is looks like it's Falcons minus four. I think there's some three and a halfs out there. They are playing the Broncos. The Broncos, who I think I saw a stat somewhere that said. They they came the deficit they came back from late in that game against the Chargers. There have only been eight out of the last eight hundred and forty teams to come back from a similar late deficit. And what's funny is of those eight teams, three of them did it against the Chargers. <laughs> it just feels like yeah. that always that they're just one of those teams. Denver was was like insane in the fourth quarter. Locke was insane. He was dancing afterwards. He's he's a goofy guy, but he's kind of funny. I, I kind of like watching him um, when he when he celebrates afterwards. I just this might be a, a bad spot. I, I don't know how you feel. This might be a bad spot for Denver because they just came back and people saw them with that big win. You might be getting um, you, you might be getting a little bit of value on Atlanta. I just I'm not. I don't love Atlanta, but I would. I guess I'd prefer the Atlanta spot in here at like three and a half or four. I love the Broncos in the spot. Broncos okay, cool. One of the plays I set out just because I personally look at it a couple of factors. Number one, with how bad the Falcons defense is, they should never be laying this big of a number. Yes. Their defense, especially in the secondary, is so bad. They're going to allow teams to get back in and you can get a back, you can get a backdoor cover. That's number one. Number two, I think of all the young quarterbacks in the league, I think Drew Locke in terms of arm talent and I don't like his moxie of like whatever. That's kind of the guy I want. I want a guy who doesn't care, who's going to sling the ball around, be arrogant and confident. That's who I want as my quarterback. He he likes his guy. Like, I, it's funny, I want to go play with him. You know what I'm saying? Like, as when I watch him, I go, man, he was walking back in the tunnel and he was like, man, that offensive line, how about those playmakers? We're like the youngest team and we're driving. I was, I was like, man, that's cool. I got excited watching him after the game. I, I completely agree with you. He, He's another one who, like, he feels like how I want Baker Mayfield to be, like, his attitude. And the, the thing with him, though, is I see improvement, and I, the best thing as an athlete can have is a short-term memory, and he has that. He gave two shits. He looked like dog piss in that first half. Terrible, the first quarter. And he had the attitude, hey, we're going to come back, and we're going to win this game. He steps in, he drives his hips, and he throws the ball. I know the metrics, like, say he's not going to be look, look good in the long run, but everything I see, I'm invested in this kid. Plus, also, everyone has to remember, and I think I believe I said this when I was on when we did our seasonal preview, the thing that's going to hurt the Broncos is Locke not having Shermer there for a training camp. Now Locke has seen the Shermer system now for eight weeks. And now yeah, he kind of has the system. Yeah. yeah, so now he kind of has everything going. So now for the second half of the year, we're going to actually see if this Broncos team is as good as everyone thinks it is because now they have the reps with the Shermer system and their defense, Vangio's defense plays and it'll be able to control Ryan. 
um, Falcons, maybe out with Ridley. Ridley has that foot injury that no one seems to be talking about. And their offensive line is not that good. Chubb is an insane pass rusher. I really like the Broncos. Cool. In a game I didn't have as strong of opinion, I was leaning more Atlanta. You've kind of uh, sold me the other way. And and the Denver was a team that I was looking into to, to playing in a lot of spots, I think, the second half of the season. Because you mentioned... They have a strong defense. You know they're going to always come out and give you a solid effort defensively. If Locke is there, I trust that they can at least move the ball a little bit. And, and you know, they they just need their playmakers. They need Gordon and Lindsey to be out there. They need their receivers to be out there. If they're banged up a little bit, they're not deep enough to have enough playmakers to go up and down the field. But when they're right, when they're healthy, this is a team that I thought was going to be close to a playoff team, you know, Preseason as a healthy team If they start to get their pieces back together There's nobody in this league This year that just looks that Unbeatable Eric I look at it like there's a lot of bad Teams this year there's not there's not One team where I'm like this team's winning At all there's a lot of bad teams This year in my opinion yep completely agree We move along to uh, a, a very good team Although this is a very good team that doesn't have a great defense Yet their defense stepped up In a game that they needed to Against San Francisco in a big game And made some plays And a game with San Francisco had some injuries to deal with But that was that was what Seattle kind of had to do In a big game Show that they can at least make some plays on the defensive end And Wilson is just, uh, just incredible The Bills after They're really Good offensive start to the year Their offense has come back to life the last couple weeks They got a gift Last week when Cam fumbled the ball That should have at least been a game that was going to overtime The Patriots would have had, could have had an opportunity To win that game late had he not fumbled the ball uh, and, and I like Buffalo coming into the year I just was expecting so much more from Their defense Talk about two teams here that Defense have been very lackluster through most of the year for me, right now, the last time I looked, see how Seattle was laying two and a half. With that being said, I'm not as high in the Bills as you are. I don't like their defense. They can't stop the run. They have some injuries in the back four, which against DK, Lockett, and all those weapons and Russell Wilson is really hard to trust. And plus, it's below the key number of three, so there's no way I can be on either side in this game. For me, Seattle, I really am hesitant ever laying points with them because their defense is so bad, especially without Jamal Adams. Completely teams agree. Can get, teams can get backdoored. If Seattle comes out and they get out to a quick 7-0, 10-0 lead, and I can get a live bet on the Bills at a 7 or a 4 or a 5, somewhere in that vicinity, I'll be interested in it. But pre-flop, gun to my head, it would only be the over. And I'm, at, this, at this point, it is three points higher than what it opened. So key numbers and value gone on both sides. I comp- it's so funny that you said that about Seattle. I feel the same way. Like I love taking Seattle, and it's um there there are just a couple teams that you feel that way with. Like I never want to be laying a bunch with Seattle, like more than a field goal, and even really points in general. I love playing them when they're a dog. I love playing them when they're a dog against a, a team like a better team where you know that like Russ is going to have to do some work, and you kind of trust in him. But I just I don't. I get so nervous when somebody's driving on Seattle and you back them. You just know you're not, you just know they're going to go right down the field. I mean, last week I had one TV on the Denver game, sweating that out, trying to get, because I had Denver plus three and a half. And the other game I'm sweating out because I had no faith in Seattle to cover the minus two and a half. (laughs) And they're up by like, what, 17? Yeah. You know, and I still am like 
scouting them. And Nick Mullins no, starts moving no the ball. Kittle, yeah. No Jimmy Garoppolo. I got Nick Mullins from Southern Miss throwing the ball. <laughs> it's that you. It's at the point of the season we all know what these teams can and can't do, and Seattle has proven us they can't stop anyone on defense. So that's the sweat you have if you bet Seattle. There's another big game where Lamar didn't really play all that well in the Baltimore Steelers game. I mean, if you just look at the the stats and like the box score on paper, it did not add up at all. Baltimore just destroyed them in time of possession. They held the ball all the time. It was just a couple of key costly moments where um Pittsburgh's defense was able to step up with a big play. Now Baltimore's going to go on the road and play an indie team that's uh that's getting healthier and that's kind of sneaky good under the radar. Indy is a two and a half point home underdog here. Baltimore at Indy, the total in this one 46. So first of all, let me ask you this. I had this epiphany when I was on the Peloton this morning. Is Jonathan Taylor the second coming of Trent Richardson? I mean, I mean, this guy just, looks so so slow I and mean, bad. And and what's funny is, not only does he look bad, but everyone that you put in around him looks good. You I throw mean, in so Wilkins, he looks good. James looks good. At the beginning of the year, it was Mac when he was in there was looking good. It's like everybody else behind this line and with these weapons, they all look good except for him. And I, I hate it when I'm wrong. Like, because I, I pride myself in the work I do, putting in the putting in the study of like watching these college kids, and. I was so goddamn wrong on Jonathan Taylor. I mean, I thought this kid was going to thrive on this line. And he's like, he looks slow. He's not hitting the gap. He's not busting through arm tackles. I mean, he's basically Trent, Trent Richardson. It just is insane to me. Um, in terms of the game, the, the things I learned from the Colts is as long as they have their two guys, uh, DeForest Buckner, and the other guy I'm spacing on his name. Um, Eric Leonard. Yeah. As long as they have those two, that defense is the top in the league. They're as good because as anyone. They can play with anyone. Can't, yeah, because you can't check one of them. You can't double one of them. You have to be responsible for two. So as long as both of those two are going, I have full faith. And the Colts team we saw against the Lions, that's the team I kind of thought both you and I thought we were going to see uh-huh. at the beginning of the year. Ball control, running the ball. Being able to gain third and manageable, being able to convert, not making silly turnovers. This is the team both you and I thought we were going to see. And right now, looks like a team that can win it all. In terms of the Ravens, basically it's simple. Everyone's playing A in the box, forcing Lamar to beat you, and Lamar can't make throws. That's basically it. They didn't do anything to improve themselves. You're telling me you're going to trust Willie Sneed to get a first down? That's going to be your playmaking wide receiver, Willie Evans. They didn't do anything good. To improve themselves this off and on the offensive side of the ball, defensive side, they're loaded. But offensively, you still have to be able to score points in this league. And I really have questions with them scoring points if Lamar needs to put a drive together. If I can get the Colts at three and a half or four, I'm sold. Completely agree. Three, I'd be okay with even three and a half, four. Absolutely, I'm going to take. And um, and I would even especially if it floated up a little there, I would take a little money line uh, action too yeah. on the on the Colts. So I think can win this game outright. Um, we move along to Texans minus seven at the Jags over under in this game is fifty and a half. And I, do we know who's going to be the starting quarterback for the Jags yet? Have they said if it was going to be Glennon or one of the other? We know it's not going to be Minshew. It's the kid from Oregon State, the tall guy. Uh, what I'm spacing on his name, tall guy, kid from Oregon. 
Fulton. I'll look it up. Yeah, it was something. I, I yeah, I. But th- that's. I mean, with Minch. Yeah, with Minshew, they, who who who's feisty, they still weren't moving the ball a whole lot. I mean, I I don't, I, I can't, I just can't really back either side in this in this game. One points a game. There's even with a backup quarterback playing, excuse me, even a third string rookie first starter. There's no way I feel confident laying that many points with the Texans. No, I, I just I can't. Really be on either side of this uh, this game Texans minus the 7 on the road at the Jags Over under 50 and a half I think you and I still have that bad Texans taste In our mouth from, from that Titans game I think for oh a few weeks God. ago too So yeah I, I would need a really Great spot and a really great number um, to, to, to back the Texans in, in some of the Coming weeks uh, What about Chiefs minus 11 against The Panthers CMC's back And the Chiefs are Vulnerable to the vertical passing game. And I will give Carolina credit. Their offense looks way more explosive than I thought it would. Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, they're getting Curtis Samuel more involved. That's a big number to be laying with an offense that explosive, especially with the Chiefs defense that's will give up the vertical play. I want to see if I can get a better number with Carolina before I get invested in the Chiefs. I would agree. Um, I, I I was starting to turn the t- the corner on Carolina a little bit, and then they they had a, a couple weeks in a row where they they were okay against the Saints. And they they ended up covering that game, and they just missed that that late field goal um, that would have sent the game to overtime. But yeah, I'm 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 still back and forth with them. Like I didn't like I thought they were going to be awful at the beginning of the year. I, I think they're well coached. So this is sort of a no real strong opinion as I'll all move along. To Titans Bears The Titans are a Five and a half to six point favorite At home they're playing the Bears over under In this game is 46 and a half The Bears come off of that game Where Troy Aikman was just ripping Them against the Saints I mean he was not liking what he was seeing from them Out on the field And, and then you have the Titans who this was a game that you and I were both on. You were very high on this game for a while. You had it circled the the spot that they were going to be in playing the Bengals last week. And the Bengals, not only did they beat them, they beat them up. Um, we've not really been in love with this Tennessee team, and it's sort of for some of the reasons why we I I, I think we both are, aren't as high on Green Bay. This defense is awful. They I could beat. Their cornerbacks deep. That's how slow their outside cornerbacks are. They can't cover at all. And you, if you have anyone that can stretch the field, they're gonna they're gonna have trouble. So if Nay is half the offensive genius that the people here in Chicago give him credit for, he's gonna be stretching the field, going deep with Mooney and Robinson, attacking that secondary. I am worried about the Bears' offensive line and Nick Foles actually having the gusto to make that throw. It's like Foles is a little bit scared of turning the ball over and he's not forcing it down the field as much as I want him to. But these two teams are insanely overrated in my eyes. They're both not as good as their record dictates. I can make a taste that the Titans should only have one win on the year. Oh, I'm, I'm with, I've, I've been on, I've been against them a lot. And even last year, there were, I, I thought it was fluky the way things went for them. They, they played well. Like Tannehill played really well, but they were on the right side of a lot of things. And I, I mean, in this spot, I would probably lean Bears just because they're two teams that I both think are phony, and I would just take the points. Yeah, I mean, that's the same way. I'm in the same mindset. I'm going to see if I can maybe get a six. I'll sprinkle yep. a little bit on the money line, but 
I mean, the Titans got two games against the Colts coming up. And let's face it, in in Titan world, those games to win the South That's everything. is way more important than this game against the Bears. Those are everything. Um, and the, it's, the, it's, as bad as we feel about the Bears, too, I would... I would almost always prefer a team like the Bears as far as playing like against better teams because the the Bears are going to keep you in the game most of the time with their defense, right? They're not going to you're not going to score 40 against them a lot of the time, so they can they can keep themselves in the game where they only have to make a play or two. I think they can make plays on this Tennessee defense. No oh, doubt about sure. it. No for doubt sure. about Especially it. Especially with the kid from Tulane Mooney and Allen Robinson is one of the most underrated uh, wide receivers. This is a big Robinson game. game. It feels like in DFS too, the right? Titans. Oh, for sure. And the Titans' offensive line. Let's not forget, it's not as good as a Max should be able to get to Tannehill, and they should be able to contain, contain if you can, Derrick Henry. So I definitely lean the Bears too. But I'm just going to wait for the the better number. Hopefully, I can get a six, six and a half, and I'll definitely sprinkle on the money line. The old NFC East. Uh, the old NFC East. When Washington is a three-point favorite, you know that something is wrong, and they're a three-point favorite over the New York Giants. Uh, Washington minus three against the Giants over/under in this one, forty-one and a half. Um, I, I mean, when when you look at these two teams, I think we can probably all agree that the Giants' defense is a little better than we thought it was going to be this year, and the Giants' defense has actually been pretty solid. It's kept them in a lot of games, and Washington has a a pretty good defense to be honest A, a pretty solid uh, fr- defensive front So really low total in here I just I don't know I can't really get excited to back either one of these teams At a number that feels pretty fair The best advice I ever got when I started Doing this gambling full time Is when two shitty teams play against each other It's two shitty teams So do, everyone <laughs> sees two shitty teams playing They expect this to be a high total Well there's a reason these teams suck you know what yeah. I mean? Like, there's yeah. not going to be this offensive explosion. If the total can creep up over four, I will look on for the first half. I will the first half under. That's kind of where I'm at with, with this game. But there's no way that either one of these teams should be laying a three. And we get to uh, Chargers, Raiders. Hey, the, the Raiders... We're in that weird weather game, low soaring game last week against the Browns, and the Chargers laid a, another egg. I mean, I mean, Eric, when we talk about teams that could have a completely different record, how about the Chargers? That's just sim- that's them every year. This is you got a new quarterback who's played really well and who's overachieved. Yet it's the same story with this team. They just every week. Every game they play is decided by one possession It always comes down to the last 30 seconds of a game It's usually something controversial that involves the refs Or some sort of weird something And I mean, this game to me, I can just I can. It feels like it's going to be another game that's going to be close And come down to something funky Chargers against the Raiders uh, over under 53 and a half Do you like a side or a total here? The one thing, my big take on this game is A, the Chargers are Always going to play to the level of their competition If they play the, the Chiefs They're going to play up if they play the Jaguars They're going to play down And that they've proven that this year Anthony Lynn is on the hot seat I like Anthony Lynn I think he can be a successful coordinator But he's kind of like They've shown Build the culture of Playing not to lose And that's what they do On all these games They play not to lose And you can tell that With their play calling But they're playing for his job this week I've heard if Lynn doesn't win this week He's out 
So I expect this to be one of the Chargers' better efforts. Raiders have some injuries on the offensive line. Ingram and Bosa are both back rushing the quarterback. I saw the line at one. I'm going to definitely be on the Chargers' side. I'm a hopefully get down to a pick just for Raider love, but I'm definitely going to be on the Chargers on the side. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I, I I think they're gonna they they're just like I just think the Chargers are better, honestly. Yeah. Like are, are better, and they 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 find a way to lose games. But I will uh, I will lean Chargers in here with you also as we move on to uh, Arizona against the Dolphins. So um, last week I was on the Dolphin side. I'm as a you were on the opposite side. We were we were on opposite sides, and I just thought for the Rams. It was a bad spot with a lot of the travel on the short week and everything like that. And now I'm going the opposite. I'm going against the Dolphins this week. I'm going with Arizona, and I genu- I do not like you. I almost never lay points, almost never. And if it is, it's very short, or if it's a it's a number that I feel like there's a lot of value in. So I, I got Arizona at four and a half, and I I think the Dolphins are going to be feeling really great, high off of their win last week. We Tua really didn't do anything. He didn't have to. This de- the the Dolphins defense that's getting better. This is a completely different quarterback than the quarterback they had to deal with last week, who's a statue and who was coming off a short week and who I, I I'm not as hard on golf as some people are, but when he goes bad and he's having a bad game, his bad and his floor is horrible. I mean, he looks so bad out there when things are going poorly, and then the floodgates just open. I don't think they're going to be able to to stop Kyler that way. The, I, I like the way I've seen Arizona. They they seem. I, I think Edmonds is a better running back personally, and I like the fact that he's going to be getting the ball a lot. I don't. I don't think Miami's going to be able to stop Arizona here. I think they're going to go up and down on him. What you just said about Goff, like Goff is that guy. If he he had the attitude that Locke had, I mean, think about how good the Rams would be. Just oh, to play. Yeah. He had the same traits, but his mindset was just the same as Locke. That carefree, whatever attitude and that short-term memory. That's why mentally-wise, like, I question golf. But back to this game, how I spent my election Tuesday is I rewatched this game. I didn't watch any election stuff. I rewatched the Tua game because I'm not a big Tua guy like everybody else. The things that stuck out for me was Tua didn't look worse than I thought he did. And he only threw to the left side of the field. I think this chart, this Cardinals defense is insanely underrated and is going to feast on this weekend defensive line. And the Chargers have a good um, Vance Joseph, I believe, is their, is their um, DC, who's one of the better ones in the league. And he's going to notice, too, is only looking at the left side of the field. And he's going to totally take that away. Woods had 7 for 85. Coop, Cup had 11 for 110. Neither one of those guys is half the right receiver DeAndre Hopkins is. Hopkins is going to eat on the secondary. I love Arizona. Arizona Cardinals DFS play. I mean, season-long play. This defense is a must-play in any fantasy football you have, and I'm definitely going to be laying the points with the Cardinals. Three games left to discuss on the Week 9 slate. First up uh, of those three is Pittsburgh at Dallas. Oh, Pittsburgh. How about this, Eric? Pittsburgh is a 14-point favorite on the road heading to Dallas. We have a Cowboys team that has not covered a point spread this year, playing against a Pittsburgh team that is undefeated. They have not lost a game this year. Uh, this is a lot of points on the road to be to be laying. 
Do we know if it, if it's going to be Rush or Danucci or who who is even going to be starting for the Cowboys as of now? The what I read is it's either going to be Central Michigan's best second best quarterback ever, Cooper Rush, or Gilbert. I think it's going to be Rush personally. As much as I hate to say this, this is the perfect spot to fade the Steelers. I agree. Fourteen points. I mean, the one thing that the Giants showed us is 14 points, 13 points is way too much to be laying, to be getting as a home, at any, anything in the NFL. NFL games basically come down to one, to one score games, and hardly a team is being by 14 or more. I mean, this is a huge, huge spot for the, to fade uh, Pittsburgh. Cowboys offensive line is getting better. Rush does have some experience. What do you think of Zeke? I rewatched that game too. Zeke looks fat. I don't mean to be mean, but he looks fat and slow. I think the offense is more explosive when they got Pollard back there. Complete. I mean, the there's something to do. I wonder with the COVID thing because remember he had COVID too, yeah. and 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 I've been wondering. And Bill Simmons has mentioned this a couple times, and he talked about it with a few basketball players, and he's mentioned it with Cam Newton also. And it's something that I'm just monitoring because again. Eric, this is something as a virus, a disease that we don't know a whole lot about. It, it could impact one guy differently. I'll tell you this much: he does not look like himself. Period. Whether yeah, it be no. No. overweight, out of shape, he's just not hitting holes. And this isn't anything to do with like if you're telling me, oh yeah, okay, the boxes are stacked. It's he's dropping balls. He's not confident. He got blown up on a block. Um, a couple weeks ago that got pushed right back into Andy Dalton where he just got lit up on that thing. I mean, he does not he does not look like not only a top tier running back, he doesn't look like a starting confident running back in the NFL right now. No, he looks he doesn't look explosive at all. Like maybe COVID is it. Like we've talked about, we really don't know how COVID's going to any one of these guys. So, yeah. I just think more Pollard Dallas does have weapons. They can just have a competent quarterback. This is going to be their fourth starting quarterback. And this is the typical spot where Pittsburgh just looks like, you know, they have they a big lay an egg. off the Titans. They've always they done this. I mean, the they lose games like this. They yeah. lose these games. Not only don't cover, yeah. you know, like this is where one that, that the Tomlin Steelers have all, everybody's talking about them now. They just had two. They beat undefeated team, or they beat undefeated team, and then they beat their big rival back to back weeks. You know, two games where they were actually the underdogs in. I think both, you know, both times back to back. And now you're the huge favorite on the road. Everyone's telling you how great you are. This and that. This is. I mean, this is. There's no reason for them to cover this spread. I could see them winning this game by seven or ten easily in like a really kind of ugly, lazy game to watch. Honestly, I probably don't want to watch a whole lot of this game, but I, I hope Dallas can just give me a late cover because I'm going to play them plus fourteen for sure. Oh. oh. Easily, and remember at the beginning of the season They played the Texans, and I mean They were down at halftime in that game This is just a complete flat spot For Pittsburgh and all over it Two games left, uh, we got the Sunday night game And the Monday night game, really good Sunday night game where we've got Tampa and uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks Coming off of that late victory As you mentioned, where they were able to squeak one out Against the team they were heavily favored over In the Giants on Monday night They're going to be playing the Saints Saints um, are the five and a half point underdog on the road. Over under in this game is fifty one and a half. I these are two teams that I'm not high on. I know their records are good. I really feel that 
the Bucks losing, oh my God, I'm based on the guy's name, Vera, the run stopper. I really feel that's going to hurt yeah, them starting Kamara. Um, I mean, Wayne Gelman and the Giants were able to exploit their defense against the run on Monday night. Uh, Saints are going to be getting Thomas and Sanders back. And the DBs have proven that you can beat them up top. The only thing is, is Breeze going to be able to get the ball down there with his old arm. Saints offense, eh, it's kind of been underwhelming the last two weeks, but that's been without Thomas and Sanders. Defense has been playing better. I think this game is going to be a little bit more low scoring. I'm definitely going to be looking at the Saints and the total under. And the total right now is around 51 and a half there Yeah, no no real strong opinion for me on this one This will be a game that I'll be inter- interested to watch Because I'm not high on the Saints really at all um, I, I don't like a lot of what's been going on there with them I mean, they very easily could have lost that game last week They were gifted the game against the Bears You look at the way they, they won the game against the Chargers That was a game that the Chargers lost You look at the way um, the Saints-Panthers game was going The Panthers were like inches away from a field goal Sending them to the, to overtime So again, you know, we talk about teams that You know, their record might not be who they are I, I haven't I haven't watched like very much of the Saints this year And thought that they 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 look great or they're doing really anything well besides getting the ball to Kamara. Yeah, I mean, and but when you have someone that explosive, sure, I mean, it works. And I just I agree with everything you're saying. Also, they're down double digits to the um too. I just feel that this Bucks team, like everyone's just drinking the Kool Aid, just waiting on you, and no, you're right. is a huge run stop for them. Um, they're going to get A.B. back. Is I mean, Brady's great. He's the GOAT. I get it. I understand it. But egos are such a delicate thing to manage in sports. How is Mike Evans, Chris Godwin? Um, Wrong. You know? That, Jones, how are those guys going to react to not getting the ball? I mean, you're bringing A.B. in. You're bringing, there's, you know, I to me, it just screams take the Saints because you're getting five with two teams and you see value on it. We get to the Monday night football game Patriots, Jets How about this one Between these two teams Put together Eric, there's only two wins The Pats are 2-5 and five. Yeah. The Jets are 0-8 It felt like last week was. A, I'm sure a lot of people felt like Okay, this is the spot the Pats are going to bounce back And it looked like they were going to and they were driving down the field They were either going to kick a field goal to tie and go to overtime And Cam was starting to move the ball It seemed like they were starting to kind of figure things out And then he turns the ball over And I mean it was just like a little microcosm of their season um, The Patriots And they're, they don't, their defense isn't great They're not doing a whole lot of things great And now they're going to be a 7 to 7.5 point favorite on the road Even though the Jets are bad This is another case where you got a big road favorite that I don't really love or trust. Yeah, I mean, you just got to play the number. I mean, I've played the, I've played the Jets more than I like to admit it. I didn't play them last week, thank God, against the Chiefs. I finally got back. <laughs> but funny is, I kind of had an epiphany when I was um, on my run. As much as everyone gives the Jets shit, a lot of teams kind of want to be in their position where they have a top pick. They have a young quarterback in Darnold. They can move to add pieces, and they're going to be starting over and hopefully get a young, exciting coach. So, I mean, long term, the position they're in isn't that bad. 
I mean, they have some good pieces. They got Beckington on the line, who's good. They've drafted um, that kid from Cal Davis in the secondary. I like what they're building, but this year they've just been a complete train wreck. And um, it's just way too many points. I can't trust the Patriots as much as it hurts me to say that, especially after Newen had that last like, fumble that cost me the money line in Buffalo. I am definitely going to be at the Jets at anything seven or higher. Yep, absolutely. That's the key. Make sure you get the seven at least, seven and a half. Look around. Or, or like another thing I like to do in a game like this, I mean, the first half total, if you can get like Jets plus three and the over under a 21 and a half, I mean, that's a great little parlay chip. Jets plus three Those under 21 numbers. and a half. Yeah. Because like I said, when two bad teams play, the scoring is always low. There's never like these big offensive explosions. Because everyone figures, oh, Team X is bad on defense, so Team Y is going to put up a lot, a lot of points. Well, Team Y's offense sucks. That doesn't correlate. You know what I mean? So I think this is going to be a little bit more of a low-scoring game. And there are so many overs to start the season. We're going to start to see that get corrected and under start hitting more moving forward. And I think they're, they're, they're still going to try to win this game moving oh, for forward. Sure. but. But but the Patriots are going to start to get in a, in a strange situation because if you know Belich, you could hear it in Belichick's voice after the game. He he for the first time sort of feels a little defeated. I think like he's yeah. looking around and going like we just really don't have the personnel right now. And you wonder, you know, is there going to be a point where they say maybe we don't, you know, maybe we try to. Just finish towards the bottom of the pack and get a pick, you know, and, and and improve our draft status moving forward. They don't spend a lot of money, so they you know they have to try to improve through the draft. So yeah, we'll see. It's it's insane to be talking about a you know a New England Patriots team that's two and five and Tom Brady's down in uh, in uh, in Tampa and it, you know it was uh, the conversation all the, before the year. Is it Belichick Brady and and early you know it's just seven eight games into it, but so far you look around and I don't I don't think. The Patriots would be awesome with Tom Brady, but they probably would have won a couple more games. Yeah, uh, but I, in fairness, the playmakers in um, Tampa Bay. Oh, it's are just way not more even comparable. There is nothing, nothing in New England. Explosive. So, yeah, it, it's I mean, it is hard to compare. England, right, they're running it, out. Yeah, I, Damian Bird, Jacoby Myers, who's a great fantasy pickup, BTW, because he's playing the Edelman role where the Patriots are actually forced to pass now so he's getting all those targets plus the come from behind targets you get so he's a great fantasy pickup um but yeah they just don't have talent which is like really weird because everyone says they're, they're such great talent evaluators honestly on the offensive end where is it i know it, it, it's funny too it's like they try to play some kind of money they try to do this like money ball sort of thing and it just it hasn't been working for them you know, like they they always try to get like value or efficiency in their picks and and trading down and getting more and stocking up. But you know what? Like, go go get one of the best players. Sometime go go draft like a top tier wide receiver or a top tier running back in, instead of and, and give like honestly, that's why Brady's not there. Yeah, I really thought they because they traded down in the first yeah. half. I mean, in the first round last year, I really thought they should. Took Jordan Love, got set up, or take an explosive playmaker. There were so, so many you have receivers. Somebody. How many? There were so many receivers into the start of the second round that we liked I mean, a lot. Jefford, Je- Jefferson, and Swift. Man, I for mean, the Colts, t- yeah, you know, yeah, all those guys were on the board. You could have got somebody that would have been huge, just a piece. But you know, they traded it down and drafted some no-name safety. 
from where he's like a D3 player. That was their first pick. It's just really weird what they're doing. Yeah, they, they get a little too cute sometimes. So, uh, and I think a lot, uh, I'm sure a lot of people have a smile on their face seeing, uh, seeing the Patriots struggle after them being on top um, for so many years. Week nine, it is just flying by. Eric, thank you so much for helping me, for doing this on short notice, for doing it a little early in the week. Um, give us some kind of your overall, any games that you've already jumped in and played on or, or any games that you, that you like and you're waiting maybe for a certain number. Um, I'm going to see how, how the market reacts to the Stafford news. And I mean, I know I already got the three. If I can get something a little juicier, seven or higher, definitely be invested there. Already locked in the Broncos. Going to definitely be looking at Carolina. Hopefully that inflates up and definitely the Chargers. Eric E. Toff, 21 Sports. Give us your plugs again one more time. Where can we find you? Social media, Twitter, Instagram, and your podcast. Um, I'm at, at etoff 21 Sports on Twitter, at etoff 21 Sports. Underscore on Instagram. I have a podcast where I just vent my crazy mind on sports that comes out Monday and Saturday. Eric, thank you so much, buddy. Uh, I will uh, have you back on uh, in in a couple of weeks. I can't go too long without talking to you because I always enjoy the conversations. It it helps me. I, I learn a little from you too, and then uh, we get a good idea of uh, of how we're going to set things up for the week. So, thank you so much, buddy. Have a great weekend. Good luck. Thanks you too. Thanks for having me on. That is uh, Eric Etoff, 21 Sports. Don't go anywhere, folks. We'll be back with much more here on That's What G Said. A big thank you to Eric for helping us out with the uh, the NFL this week. So a couple games that I'm uh, I'm looking at in in the NFL for me, uh, Titans-Bears. If we can get the plus six, I'm taking the Bears side in there. The Pittsburgh-Dallas game, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take the Cowboys in the plus 14. I think this is kind of a, a trap spot for Pittsburgh to be a little bit flat. They can still win by 10 here and be flat and not cover the spread. I'll also look to the Jets. I want to get the plus seven and a half, though. If we get seven, and definitely not at six and a half, but look for the plus seven and a half there with the Jets. So Bears, Cowboys, Jets, the three for me. And then the, the best play of the weekend is going to be uh, Arizona minus four and a half against the Dolphins. Uh, Arizona minus four and a half against the Dolphins. My four plays there, the best one, uh, Arizona, and then the three other plays. Bears try to find plus six. Dallas, make sure you're getting plus 14. And Jets, look for the plus seven and a half there. NFL week nine, we're finally coming off a good week. This year it's been, I think week one was two and five. And then every week since then has been either two and one, one and two, two and one, one back and forth and back and forth. Finally had a nice three and oh week and we're up uh, just at 500. So we'll get going now with uh, much more of a focus coming in the next few weeks on the NFL with, uh, you know, the Breeders' Cup in the rear view mirror with. Lakers and Dodgers stuff and uh, basketball and baseball in the rearview mirror for a while. Football, horse racing, going to get our undivided attention. Although, if my attention is already divided between football and horse racing, that's not undivided attention, right? Mainly, I'm just talking about my focus. See, starting to ramble at the end of, of this episode because we're done. I'm done. We are done for this weekend for Breeders' Cup. I have to really say thank you to Everybody who joined me from, I'm finishing this up and it is 3.21 a.m. Pacific time as I'm like saying my last few words on the end of this show on Wednesday, Thursday morning. And from Monday to Wednesday, from the, in those three days, I had interviews 17, 
17 different interviews set up with people from Bree Mott to Stable Duel, Kurt Rossner from Old Smoke, uh, Eric who joined us to talk about NFL, and then a different guest for every single Breeders' Cup race. It started with the Friday Breeders' Cup races, and it went on to the Saturday Breeders' Cup races. And a big thank you to every single person along the way. It was Brian Aragoni at the very beginning. It was Ryan Dickey, Andy Villanueva, Sean Alvarez, and Barry Spears helping out on Friday. Then on Saturday, it was Scott Shapiro, Bill Downs, it was Joe Christofek, Andrew Champagne, and Darren Zocali, some of my go-tos, man. Those guys, they helped me with wrestling, with with uh, every single week, with all sorts of horse racing stuff. The big thanks to the the boys there helping out again with uh, with double duty because they did the Philly and Mare Turf and the Turf helping me out. Craig Milkowski from Timeform US. Chris Larmy joined us to talk Breeders' Cup Mile. Craig talked about the Breeders' Cup Sprint. Christina Blacker from TVG was so nice catching up with Christina. She talked about the distaff with us. And then Emily Golickson closed it out talking Breeders' Cup Classic Thank you to all of the guests. I mean, they were able to give me anywhere from 10 to 45 minutes to talk about a race, go through everything. They handicapped the races super early for me. They were really flexible with their time. I could not have have put together all these shows without all the help from them. And thanks you to all of you for listening in again. Don't forget to go subscribe, to rate, to review what you heard on That's What G Said. The analysis is, is going to always be this way. You know, most weeks we're not going to cover every race 25 to 30 minutes uh, horse by horse like we did with the Breeders' Cup, but there will be a lot of deep dive days. Every episode is going to have some horse racing plays for you, but this is going to be always more than just a horse racing show. And many weeks it's going to be, you know, lots of other sports, but whatever the big one is, that'll be our focus. And this week the big one was the Breeders' Cup. Thanks again, folks. Let's make that money. If you have any questions about anything, please shoot me a message. Joey Cleveland, close this thing out because uh, we're going to have a newly updated That's What G Said theme song coming soon.